Hey, hey, Smivy. Mm. Feel this. Feel this. Oh, that's nice. Smooth, isn't it? Smooth like an egg. Now, have a whiff. Have a whiff of this, mate. Oh, what is that? It's like uh, like lavender or... It's very aromatic. Mate, that is my manscaping ball deodorant. You're joking. No, it's changed my life. Wow. And these clippers, mate, so close to the bone. Do away with those tin snips. Don't worry about those random greys clogging up your old clippers. Get onto the manscaping gear and smooth up that area, which really we don't give enough attention to. No, that's right. It's uh, It's just been... Just not really that looked after, has it fallen? I mean, compared to the meticulous treatment of the pubic region that women, you know, give their zone. Mm. Yeah, well, I I've, I've just love the attention to the detail that manscaping have done. Have a look at this. Look, look at the, the shade that this ball toner has given me. Right, it's next level over here. Wow. Look like Donald Trump down there. I look like Peter Garrett after a really hectic gig. There's steam coming off these babies. <laughs> Get 20% off and free shipping with the code SWELLIAN at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com. Use code SWELLIAN. It's time to shave those eggs, SWELLIANS. Shave them. Khalid has a whistle. Hey, uh, well, first of all, I'd like to say... And I ASP gonna find me because I wanna be a part of this fucking jump wannabe tennis tour. You know, I think they got their his testicles so far out their mouths that this is bullshit, you know? I'm not thinking about that right now, I'm just thinking about having won the world title and, and hopefully trying to win another one someday. You just drop in and just smack the pull back, drop down, say bah. Well I'll tell you Stu, I did battle some humongous ways. Oh that's the table thing? Oh, that looks good, Not bad. Ain't that swell with Jed and Vaughn. Oh, those guys are back. <laughs> Get a haircut. Yes, shredheads, waxheads, kooks and barnies. Welcome to Ain't That Swell, the radio show dedicated to cutting fucking sick. I'm your host, the two-time Gold Cone Piece Award winner, Scum Valley's finest himself, the punch drunk Pikey, the Sultan of Psilocybin, the Maestro of Micro Dosing Smithy. Host of Rivals too, and doing a wonderful job there. Oh, Smithy. thanks, mate. Yeah, you know, I'm doing Killed my best. It, mate. I'm doing my best. Uh... We'd have a fucking call lord on channel nine. Yeah. Or Channel 7 or whatever channel mm. it's on. First call lord to be on the corporate media payroll since, uh, <laughs> since me. Know, Bob Hawk. <laughs> since me and Ronnie, mate. <laughs> Touche. True, true. Uh, yes, as you may have heard, joined here by my loyal co-host and friend, frontman of the Goons of Doom, former editor of Surfing World Magazine, Waves Magazine, Tracks Magazine, Vaughn Corn Deadly. Corn is rinsed at the moment, Smivy. Rinsed with Stoke, my friend. Mm. Been so much going on, man. We've we've been overdue for a regular ep. Good to finally see you. Love to catch up with you. You are a dear friend of mine and uh, love being in the same room. Talking surf trash Mm. with the finest in the game. It's good that you've been keeping the corn stoked. So to speak, got to stoke the corn from time to time, now. <laughs> Just fucking get the hot rods out and give it a good hug. <laughs> get those embers cranking right there in the corn. But, uh, I mean, it's, 
it's I'm ho- I really hope you stored a lot of stoke in your corn and your pineal gland because it's all come to an end, Vaughn. I know. The golden run that will be known forevermore as the winter of the Rona and the job seeker. It's over. The spring sting is upon us and it has kicked off in all of its manky, northerly glory with fucking whale carcasses surrounding us to boot. Mm. It is... An absolute debacle up yeah. here in the Northern Rivers. It's Sharkapalooza 2020. <laughs> it's been fucking hectic. <sighs> so many teeth everywhere. And, uh, you know, I mean, fuck, dude, in all seriousness, really heavy issue here. Uh, we've lost a surfer already up the coast at Kingscliff. That was uh, just before the spring kicked in. And um, at, at Snapper there, you mean? Greenmouth? Oh, sorry, at Snapper, yeah. And, and a, a Grom down at uh, Wool uh, Eye Mini Waters, that zone too, just uh, south of Yamba there. And I think, yeah, there was an attack at Kingscliff too. And, um, yeah, yeah, mate, right. just, oh, gee whiz. I'm so, uh, you know, our, our, fuck, our, our thoughts go out to those families if, and friends of those families if you've been affected. But, gee whiz, it, it just seems like they're everywhere. Absolutely, and I guess it's got a lot to do with the dead whales and the, you know, there's dead whales at Fingal there, just on the opposite side of Snapper. There's one at uh, Southwall Balanamai kind of zone, and there's another one down at Sandon River there uh, near Yamba, and another down at Sandon Point, mm. or that kind of bullye zone on the south coast. And, uh, from what I've been told, anyway, I guess everyone kind of must know this up here, but yeah, it's, the sharks follow the, the whale migratory pattern, which occurs during the change of seasons. They Head up north to Harvey Bay. Uh, the I guess it's the autumn kind of changeover, mm. summer to autumn, and then uh, they head back south. Do, in they, the do they head winter up there to, to carve, or do they head up there to root? Uh, I don't know if they're heading up there for the old in out in out. I feel like you would though. I mean, you know, I know whales are pretty well endowed, but still, <laughs> fucking in the Antarctic region, you know, it's not exactly. <laughs> Even a whale doesn't want to pull his prong out there. But... I would imagine not. <laughs> I would imagine not. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm sure it's uh, up in the tropics with a few pina coladas and a couple of krill buffets going around that they really get right up it, rup it, so to speak. But, uh, yeah, it's an absolute debacle mm. around here at the moment. It is, yeah. It's a shocker. But, I mean, well, uh, look, look, we I, had a good run, Vaughn. I feel look, like the universe just telling yeah. us just like, you've had a good run, you got fucking coned off your dial for four months straight. And now is the time to just, you know, chill and sit back uh, and whittle some sticks, plant some seeds, grow a few crops and, uh, you know, just pay your respects to Mother Nature. I just, I remember reading in Rabbit's biography, Smivy, uh, a legendary run of swell at, you know, Old Kira before the Superbank uh, that, that MP, Rabbit, PT, the original Cooley kids were all over it. And it was something like 28, day, 28 days straight of just flawless, flawless Kira to the point where wow. they were, you know, quite often just surfing it on their own, rarely seeing each other in the lineup. And I remember thinking to myself, <laughs> "That's crazy." I know it's madness to think about, but I remember reading that at the time and just going, "Wow!" And, and you'll you'll speak to you know guys like Andy McKinnon and uh, you know that vintage, and they all just it just sits atop the pile oh. of the greatest run of swell that you know the, that that particular stretch mm-hmm. had ever had. Sixty nine time gold cone piece award winning surf journalist Andy, Andy McKinnon. McKinnon. That's right. Uh, you know, and I always used to think about that because I grew up just you know an hour south, uh, you know on the on the north, far north coast of New South Wales, and I'd just go, wow, twenty eight days straight. But that 
that winter we've just had was had to be on par. I mean, everywhere was pumping. It got to the point I was, you know, when we had Connor O'Leary in here, where he was just saying he'd wake up and it would just be four to six again, uh, piping off its head offshore. He, he could find a bank anywhere almost get it to himself if he wanted or if he wanted to deal with the crowds. Like, Lennox Point was basically just as good as it's ever been for such a prolonged period. Mm. And uh, everyone had just fucking feasted on it, mate. It was mm. just a gorp fest. Everyone's just walking around, like, with food, you know, just froth glands, literally just spoofing all over oh, the that's place. Right. And, yeah, it was just such a good run, man. Absolutely. Magic, magic time. Magic run. Magic. Uh, and, and in the midst of this global pandemic where, you know, there's just so much fear, so much uncertainty. Jeez, it panned out well for surfers. <laughs> it did, ah, didn't you're it? You're joking. <laughs> Give me another pandemic. Serve it up. Wow. So, yeah, look, I mean, you're right. It's all over. What have we got to look forward to is the question. Yeah. Uh, not a lot of surfing, not a lot of surf action. Although we did see a return to the competitive format for the first time in a long time mm. up here on the north coast, right in the middle of Sharkapalooza 2020. They ran the gauntlet there, the Wazzle, big time, and uh, they escaped, but just by a hair. Just by a hair, mate. There was a, a, a stoppage for a shark on yeah, uh, right. second heat, third heat of the whole comp. Um, there was a, a big white uh, swimming in along the shoreline. Wow, and, um, an old-fashioned thumper. Yeah, it, was a, it was a biggie. And they just pulled the surfers up on the ski, uh, let it swim through. I think there's been a fair bit of feedback on sort of like the, the correct, uh, you know, like thing to do, procedures in, yeah, in that instance. That's right. I mean, uh, as far they're as I know. They're, they're, like they're, you say, they're on, they're on the way. Yeah. You know, they're docile, on the way reasonable creatures. You know, you, you <laughs> simply, uh, you know, uh, as far as I know, you you lock in for a, you know, you, you ask firstly, are you okay, and uh, mm. go through the mental inventory of self esteem and self worth, and uh, you know, move them along in the most cautious and uh, emp- empathic manner. Mm. Yeah, well, I mean, it worked out. It did work out, thank goodness. And uh, yeah, the, the comps ran, and it was, it was great. It was great to see a bit of uh, you know the heat of battle. Uh, it'd be awesome. Or even better, if there was uh, something to surf for, you know. I think, uh, but but in saying that, surf for there, there, pride is not enough for one. Well, pride's charity's enough. not the charity enough. Charity is is good, but we know what makes these guys tick. They want they want something. they want the silverware. Yeah. But I was I was pretty impressed. I saw some pretty heated moments during the course of that event. None more so than uh, the Julian Wilson Jack Robinson heat. Ooh. There was proper steam coming mm. out of both those guys after that exchange and. Yeah, I think, uh, first of all, Julian thought he'd done enough to win that heat. And uh, Jack got the nod. And then, you know, in the, in the post-heat sort of uh, coming together, the, the rumour was that Julian went up to shake Jack's hand and, and Jack offered the elbow, being, you know, COVID safe. Yes. And, and Julian sort of called him out on it and just said, you can shake my hand, mate. Oh, fair dinkum. Yeah. Wanted so, an old-fashioned grip. Yeah, I think, I think there was just a bit of, you know, a bit of, Steam, a little bit of a something going on there, mm. and and Jules hasn't had it all his own way lately. I think uh, no, he had no sticker on the beak, no, no sticker on the beak, no hurley. What's which, the story? I, 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 from what I've seen around the, act the place, of God, yeah, the act of I, God clause strikes again, <laughs> in reverse, right? Well, that, I guess normally, so. Well, it's ironic, isn't it? We have the most, uh, you know, I guess Christian affiliated of all the surf companies, and. Uh, they're the first to pull the act of God clause and say, uh, well, God, it be, it be God's will. It hath be God's will that we shall not pay you, Julian. Mm. Yeah, odd. 
But uh, I think uh, also, and this is allegedly, I don't know how, how true this is, but Julian wasn't happy with the direction of the brand, you know, ever since the, the big takeover and, and the, the sort of the noise coming out of Hurley is that they're going to get into tampons and oh. deodorant and all You're sorts of out. weird shit. And, uh, How about I that think, kind of in out? Yeah, I just think uh, they, they want to put a Hurley logo on anything that they can possibly do. This is, this is apparently... And so Jules didn't want to borrow that. So I think there's. Uh, I mean, what's the branding? Uh, what's, what's the branding concept there? You can't even see the Hurley logo when it's jammed right up at chicks. Woo-hoo! <laughs> yeah, well, fucking who knows, mate? Maybe a little tiny one on the string hanging out. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> oh. <laughs> but uh, yeah, look, I don't know. I, I think that's you know it, it, it's already something on the back of your brain that you don't need when you're competing, and if if you sort of a little bit eggy going into heats, mm. you, you, your egg factor is going to go omelette, you well, know, by the yeah, time and you, you, you're right. something doesn't go your way. Yes, correct. And, uh, you know, as a grommet growing up, there was nothing better than having a, a sticker on the snout of your board as you're paddling into a wave. But I guess when you're older and you've made hundreds of thousands of dollars and you've just been stuffed, stiffed, stuffed mm. by the active God claws, it'd be nothing worse than taking off, you know, preparing to whack it and seeing that stinking mm. H just glaring back at you, <laughs> reminding yeah. you of all the thousands of dollars you're missing out on. Nothing worse is you're stroking into a heat winner. That's <laughs> true. That's true. And Do I your think... fucking head in. Do it right in. Oh, and then, you know, I don't know, the tide's going out. There's a few things. There's a few things there that, that I think would be, you know, making themselves felt. Mm. Plus there's a generational change going on. I mean, I don't know what you thought, but I, I felt watching that event, the absence of Mick and Joel uh, was sort of had been eclipsed by the emergence of Owen and Tyler and Mikey. Mm. You know, like the the new the new kings, the new queens are here, and just underneath that, the princes, the the Ewings, and the and the uh, yeah, and the, and you know that next generation of of you know the the guys who are going to be those dudes is is right there as well. Mm. Uh, but yeah, I felt like on the on the men's side of the draw, uh, Owen looked like magnifique. He, he, looked, he looked like the alpha male, a gazelle, didn't he? The he, big O, the big bird, swooping and schwacking it. And he got he, done by Ethan, but I mean, he just looked so so silky. Oh, and that was an absolute melter of a heat. I mean, given the conditions, fuck Owen, how big is he? What six three? Uh, you know, be tipping the scales sort of around eighty kegs, I'd imagine. And his wingspan is is to- is longer than his uh, height, which is unusual. I think he's got an extra sort of. He's got the same wingspan as Michael Phelps. Ronnie was saying wow. at one point in the broadcast. So I mean, that's huge. It's just seeing a man of that size and stature cartwheeling through the air is mm. a sight in itself. It's mm. remarkable. Seeing that the level of elasticity and uh, acrobatics from Owen is just, just – it's otherworldly. It's mm. almost uh, beyond description. But then also the waves, it was gutless shit, you know. We're talking like the absolute uh, lowest possible periods, like what was it, seven, eight seconds. A good shape, good direction, mm. but so gutless. And to see what he was able to generate out of that pus was just mind-blowing. Yeah. And the heat he got done with against Ewing uh, in – Against Ewing was uh, sorry Ewing uh, <laughs> was uh, an absolute melter. But mm. to me, I'm looking at 
Australian surfing on the men's side of the draw right now, and I'm 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 looking at it going, it's bubbling. It, it's a cauldron of froth and motivation and high performance, and I'm feeling a world a world title in the next two years. And I reckon Owen's going to be the guy to get there first. And I think uh, I think Ethan Ewing is a bolter. I think he could fully nab one. He is out of control, mm. man. The boards he's on. I mean, fire out if I uh, breathed, or I think they'd break probably in the vicinity of my coarse language. They look so light and mm. uh, buoyant. But, yeah, just incredible. Just so fast, so powerful, so refined. It's uh, – I think I said it in a previous show. It's, you know, might be the best rail surfing we've ever seen mm. in the history of the yeah, sport. Yeah, I know. You're, you're, you're a big fan of his rail, and it was on show up there at, at, on the Tweed Coast. But there was two things that I loved about it. Uh, yeah in that event the first one was uh, he had uh, Phil McNamara you know uh, Mick Fanning's old coach alongside him just sort of I think maybe bringing that mongrel that we've been talking about for a long time because in the final he had his first two waves he fell off like he fell off and then I don't know if you saw it but his third wave which was probably the best wave of the final a bit more of a set his first turn was just a pure fucking waka straight out of the intro to the show just a Big old fucking hack, and it had anger in it, and mm. that's what I I thought. Yeah, that's a good sign, man. Like, mm. if you want to take on, you know, the Medinas, the Toledos, the Italos, who are just running so hot on passion. You know, it's one thing to have the game; it's another thing to match them. You know, with absolute energy, mm. and, and I think Ethan, that was the first time I'd seen it fully on display where he just went, no, fuck this. I'm not letting this get away from me. And he, and he mm. matched it. He, he brought the energy. It's remarkable how much of a role grit and anger plays in sporting success. It's, <laughs> yeah. it, it's usually the the coal that goes into the furnace mm. of almost every all-time great sportsman you can you can name. It's bizarre. And I guess those guys that come from the, the kind of more, you know, nuclear – working class, middle class family where it's everything's kind of ridgy ditch and fine. They somehow go a bit by the wayside when they're up against the Idolos and the Andy Irons and the Slaters and the Fannings. You know, these guys have they've had a grit and transcend mm. bullshit and they've come out the other side and there's just some kind of burning coal just in their yeah. cornhole. Just revving them right up. That corn is well stoked. <laughs> But, uh, I mean, Ewing, it's interesting that he had a bit of a melt to open the heat because that's kind of been his MO on mm. tour. You know, he graduated. How old was he? Was he, what, 18, yeah, 19 or something? So, yeah, he was, he was young because, I mean, he's only 21 now, isn't he? 22? Yeah. Okay. But, yeah, I mean, his first year was plagued by melts despite the mm. hoopla and excitement about his graduation. So it's interesting that he was able to bounce back. He was able to throw the melt away. Mm. Oh, I think and, he's got uh, uh, he's got good people in his corner and he's building momentum. But uh, great comp. Any other highlights before we, before we uh, move on from that one? Well, I just reckon they should have a proper CT there. Like it's, uh, I'm sure they, I don't know how the Cabrita locals would feel about that, but uh, just the mental zone. It had that real natural amphitheater vibe about it, like the mm. Bells has. You know, everyone perched around on these cliffs, looking down on a you know fun right wedge point break kind of setup. Uh, I watched it uh, with a couple of mates under a pandemic tree in a crevasse with a university cigarette between my lip- lips. <laughs> Very enjoyable. But uh, other notes, I mean, just to see 
just to see someone like Tyler Wright in the kind of form that she was in and, again, in the conditions. Like, mm. I really enjoy watching surfing take place in those kinds of conditions because it, it is quite relatable. Mm. Uh, you know, just the gutless uh, east swell like that and just the, the speed and power and uh, just so much energy despite the lackluster conditions. It's crazy to watch. You're like, oh, whoa, man. how is she in this much rhythm? How is she generating this much power and flow? in these kinds of conditions, but it's just, you know it when you see it, you know, like that's world title winning form. Oh, that, man. That, that's, oh, it's almost untouchable. Couldn't like agree she, more. If she surfs like that, uh, if she takes that form into the current oncoming season, whenever that is, like she'll be untouchable. Oh, I, th- I totally agree. I, I think it's it's her first and daylight second. And Steph Gilmore, like, is just such a beautiful surfer to watch. You can watch it all day long if she gets the wave. It's on. She's definitely not looking uh, like she's struggling for energy in that sort of surf anymore. I think those, that conversation's kind of dead now because she's just, you know, she's had a big break. Uh, I think any surfer who was feeling a bit burnt out or looking at their career, but I, I mentioned it during the broadcast, mate, like everyone is going to come back to this year fizzing uh, whenever the, the next season takes off and niggling injuries, uh, motivation, all those convos are gone really for everyone. Uh and Steph is capable of, you know, 10-point rides in every comp if she wants to do it. But the, the difference to me was just how aggressive Tyler was. She was just attacking it and, <clears throat> excuse me, like you said, getting speed where she had no right to get it. If she took off on a heap of shit, she was ripping the fuck out of it like it was four foot. And I was just going, this is amazing. This is actually amazing surfing. This is going to be a dominant, scary year for, for Tyler. Sorry, a dominant year for Tyler terrifying year for everyone else yeah and more broadly i'll just say this too australian surfing's in a crazy renaissance at the moment like and it's coming a big push is coming from the underground there is just so many underground tube pig maniacs punt freak maniacs guys who are you know they're unsponsored um and they are pushing the level so high from the underground, from that grassroots. Mm. And I feel like a lot of the top-level pros can't help but be inspired and motivated from that push. And I feel like there's just something going on down under at the moment. There is just this endless stream of mind-boggling clips coming out of all of the slabs and whatnot. You know, these are waves that, you know, these are waves that all due respect to that kind of pulse era um, but these guys weren't even looking at waves like that. They were still bodyboarding waves mm. right up until the, the mid-noughties, you know, late-90s, mid-noughties. Surfers weren't surfing these. And now we've got like a whole host of teenagers just stuffing themselves in man-sized caves and getting blown Mate, well, out of them. Brought us, you've brought us to Team of the Week, Smithy. A beautiful segue. Thank you. Because... It's time. It's time to celebrate some of these core lords alongside some of the pros as well because there has been some standout shit going on over the past few months. But this month, the Ain't That Swell team of the week is the Valhallians. Yes, the Valhallians, Smitty. Surfers imbued with the warrior blood of Nordic Hellions who invade, plunder and rape the cone holes of the most mortal conequence returning to shore to be showered in glory, riches, virgins, and heaps mad photos and clips and that with which to claim Valhallian overlord status for the rest of their celebrated lives. Tell me more! These are the surfers who have looked dead straight into the eye of beast swells and said, Come at me, cunt! Come at me, you dog! Have a fucking dick, cunt! And then cut the things in half with textbook drop shoulder into the spleen that stopped those freight training druggernauts dead in their tracks. Yes, the Valhallian Smitty. 
They are here to take you down. Do you want to hear the, the run on squatties? Please go on! Well, it can go no further than the dead man's crew. I know this is a little late to the party, but we have not given these guys their worth yet. Wild units giving the Southside crew, the slab chasers, something to think about with a day of surfing that quickly stole the mantle of Sydney's best ever day of slabbing corn hole Oh, It's a big call. It's a big call. No small call. The Cronulla Reefs with, uh, you know, the uh, Outer Banks. Oh, sorry. The Cronulla Reefs with uh, Banks and Kingy and all that crew out there for years. The Bra Boys and Juggy out Big Owls and Cape Fear, etc., etc. There's been some memorable days. Mm, big, big days. But... Has the surf media gone bad or are you backing it? Are you backing this this day at the Dead Man as uh, one of the best ever? But before you uh, answer that, big props to Samson Coulter, Letty Mortensen, Kai Otten, Sammy Jones, but Chris Lauer, Lauer, Lawfer, what it, mate? You are a fucking heathen! <laughs> the lifeguard from Curly Water, Hamad, man, the Hamadist. What was that? And, uh, you know, Matty Dunsmore, Nick Laidlaw, Nick and Toby Player, a few other guys out there, Ollie Desset. Uh, Tom Carroll, Hogg, Geordie Lawler, Kobe Clements, all making the more, most of those northern beaches, you know, drainers from Southie all the way to Palmy and back down. But but the Dead Man Swell, I mean, it's it's going to live forever. That is beyond epic. That that mm. one thing that that Chris gets is just fucking insane, mate. It's such a wild wave. I had to watch it a thousand times over to wrap my head around it. I mean, one of the things that really sticks out about that. That wave is that, you know, it for, it doesn't look clean. It doesn't look predictable. It looks like a nightmare that could chandelier and crush him like a drained can of forex gold at any moment. Mm. And yet there he is, standing, you know, rather nonchalantly in the, <laughs> the bowels of this thing. Just the way that these guys handle this swell. Look, I know that you know they're they're getting around, and some of them are accomplished big wave slab chasers, right? But there was a handful of guys out there who, who surf North Stane or Queenie or just fucking a couple of other little beaches up the point. But when the local's on, you've got to have a crack. You've got to have a crack. You've got to have a crack. Have a crack. You, have a crack you must. <laughs> but, yeah, just the, they had this crazy cupped out nature. And I guess from where Chris was standing, you know, from where we were looking at it, it looked like a nightmare. It looked like he could potentially just get fucking so crushed in that thing. But from where he was standing, that cupped out, scooped out hollow section, he must mm. have just had so much faith in it. Because it just fucking stayed so open, and it did kind of have a little end section kind of fluff on mm. the end, but stayed open and just spat him out for yep. the all-time he tube just rides. Pulled out his manscape and clippers and just went fluff gone, mate. <laughs> Fuck. But uh, yeah, no, that was that was Wild. a and, and you've you've you know there's there's uh, five minutes of footage on, of yeah. it online, which you, watch you've it. put in as as one of the top five clips of the mm. COVID. Mm. Shut down time, right? Oh, it's absolutely iconic. And it's raw footage and you can mm. hear the screams and howls from the cliff. It's just great viewing. It's as good as it gets. Oh. And it was the underground call lords that manned up, manscaped up and packed a <laughs> thumper or two. It was wild. And I do I, – I, it's an interesting yeah. call. I, I did see the surf line headline, which was, uh, you know, is this the craziest slab in Sydney or is this the best, you know, slab session in Sydney – of all time, and it does have a whiff of the uh, old-fashioned north side, south side derbies and grudge matches mm. of yesteryear, Vaughan. You might be drawing the ire of the uh, Maroubra crowd by 
saying well, that. I, uh, I, I didn't see the Dead Man session, but I was at ours for for the Cape Fear, mm. and nothing will ever top that no. for me. That's that's the the heaviest day of attempted surfing I've ever seen. Cause nobody made a single wave that day. Yeah, it was madness. They had a crack, Smithy. Oh, they, <laughs> they had a fucking crack. Uh, yeah, there was no. There was nothing topping that, but uh, it was pa- it was uh, that was a toe day versus a paddle day, so there's a it's a big differentiation. Yeah, very there. true, very true. But um, just just incredible surfing to every single one of you fucking legends who had a crack. And- I'm rothing for all of you, and a big shout out. I went down to uh, Curl Curl to watch. I think it's the Raiders take on the Avalon Bulldogs the other morning uh, under. Under sevens or eights. Um, they're taking their fucking heads off a water. Oh, they're taking their fucking heads off a right. Full props to uh, 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 Howie. You know, Howie, the shaper from Cronulla guy. Yeah. Um, hmm. Got the eight ball. A shaper with an eight ball? <laughs> Doesn't <joking>. sound like. <laughs> uh, but Howie's uh, little daughter. Sienna was playing and she Ooh, just hammered this fucking no big way. unit on the other side. Just lexed him. Yeah. And then uh, Mickey Blakey, Ronnie's son, scored his first ever try. Oh, you would have been joking. proud. He was just carving them up too. It was a great run. They ended up losing the Bulldogs, so well done to the Raiders. But I see this guy hobbling, you know, uh, up the sideline uh, at full time. And I'm like, hey, I know that guy. It's Scotty Romain, who's uh, an old Long Reef fella. Uh, just turned 50 the other day and uh, sort of had a good catch up with him. And uh, I was like, oh, geez, you look a little bit stiff there, mate. And he said, yeah, I actually uh, compressed three vertebrae in my back going over the falls at uh, at Dead Man's that day. So he got proper whipped. You might actually see the wave in that raw footage. he, He sort of comes off the bottom, does a super late high line, gets sucked up the face, and then just does the big sort of uh, slingshot. Uh, pinball oh, out of the lip the into pin the base. Drop. He jumped. Yeah, that what, one. So what happened? Did he uh, did he land on the bottom and, and get compressed? Like the lip land on his head. He get kind of pincered between the bottom and the. I think well, he actually did, did he... it hitting the water and then getting compressed. I, I'm not 100 oh, yeah. sure of the details, the, the, but uh, the secondary back slam. Just just the, the slab. fucking just the the go the go on these guys. I mean, mate. talk to us. So ab- good. Talk to us about the wave because it's it's so unique. Growing up uh, in Sydney, you know, I used to look at Dead Man's as just this. It's almost like the the secret level in the video game, you know. Yeah. Like it, it's such a mythical, mystical wave, uh, you know, way around there on the headland at uh, uh, what is that North Head? I guess the the north side of North Head, uh, and it, you know, it only breaks when it's like in that ten foot plus range. Yeah, but it's just it's a roll in. Uh, into like just a really unpredictable second section where you can get the barrel of your life. But you can also just pack something that fucking tweaks out yeah, and well, compresses three vertebrae. I've never seen it do what it was doing on this swell. I, I don't know if many people have, but guys have a crack at it when it's when it's big and it's uh when it's on. But you're right, it's got sort of like a first section roll into a big first sec uh, sorry, big cave. So you can get pitted. Kai Fitzgerald's uh had some pretty memorable sessions out there over the years doing that, getting that first barrel. Kai Otten as well. Uh, but if backside. you, if you stay in it, so yeah, if you stay in it too long, it hits this big sort of surgeon's table that uh, feeds into Winky Pop You're and then joking. across the bower. And that's that's the danger zone. If, if you get sort of caught in that little bit, you can really get dry docked. And um, it's it's just a wild – yeah, there's so much going on with that so wave. Much Even going when on. it's it's not doing what it did on that day, it's, it's kind of got, you know – you're not just pulling in and then escaping to freedom. You've got a lot to think about once you sort of get through that first section. So, yeah, it was just awesome. And uh, I, I, don't, I don't think there's another wave in Sydney that can hold just the height. 
you know, the cape, ours has probably got it for thickness and, and perfect perfection. But, uh, I mean, what is there that can hold a, a kind of a 12 a to 15 question. foot tube on uh, on the East Coast, really? Yeah, that's a... I think I mean, down depot, south... Depot, no, yeah, probably, d- down south, It's a different beast, though. I mean, yeah, a- I think there's a few reefs down south that, that get the height, maybe not the squareness, but uh, that was just one of those magic days. So, uh, yep, there they are, the run-on squad for the Valhallians. Well played. Now, uh, Team Maniac, this guy gets a special mention, A... For the clip that he dropped earlier in the uh, oh, it was a fair while ago now, but um, he was also featured in the Surf 100 concept that the WSL and or Stab actually uh, put it together, and the WSL sort of get behind it. But that's Kale Walsh, mate. And what what do you make of this guy surfing? He for a long time he uh, you know from over in the west, uh, he's sort of I guess from sort of the the Chuny Manners era or, or, or age group, I should say, that they, they sort of came through at the same time. Jeez, man, oh, he's had a couple of setbacks with injuries, but he is just sending it. He does the biggest, most fucking committed airs to the flats, and I think he's, you know, paid the price for that. But also just that classic WA thing where these guys just grow up, just basically sending it under the lip, under the ledge, just fucking fearless. Like, it's just not fair. It's not yeah. fair that these guys can have so much sort of just grounding in those sorts of conditions. Oh, dude. I mean, it's like what's normal for your average West Australian surfer is just in another league for a surfer from anywhere else on the wo- in the world. It's, it's such a wild place. They get so hammered by swell and they have so many psycho setups there that can handle it. So these guys, you know, you, you look at your Jack Robbos, your Kale Walshes from the ages of like your Jacob Wilcoxes, uh, you know, from the age of 12, 13, 14, these guys are getting stand-up pits on the heaviest, driest slabs. Mm. And, uh, I mean, by the time they're 21, they're just doing shit that fucking defies logic. Yeah. And uh, and then and then you've got further up the coast, you know, you've got your, your toomies and stuff like that, which is just one of the most harrowing joints on the planet, mm. bar none. Chopes, pipe. I put it on that kind of pegging as just an absolute fucking nightmare. And then you got you've got chicks like Bronnie McCauley. Well, she's she's here. She's in the it. team. She's our packing rover. It. Absolutely packing it, but not just packing it. Fucking ripping the lid off six to eight foot faces, dude. Like I'm talking attacking the lip, shredding a fucking big old rooster off the top of these things, shearing waves, you know, into the heavens. And, like, I swear to God, mate, look, the footage I saw up there of her over this past COVID breakdown period was fucking ridiculous. Mm. I mean, if we think Tyler looks unbeatable, uh, there's still a couple of question marks on Tyler's backhand, and mm. Bronte is going to be the surfer to pick apart that one little weakness, if it's there. But no one will be doing what this what this woman can do on Eight foot lefts. No, and I guess that that's my point. It's just this this underground push, and a lot of it's coming from WA. Like if you're a com- contest surfer, competitive surfer, uh, looking at winning a world title, you're looking at how hard these you know relative nobodies. Uh, not like Kale and Bronny are no, they're not nobodies, but like I'm talking about like even the the Ollie Henrys, you know, guys mm. like this. Um, you, you're looking at how hard of a crack they're having. <laughs> they're fucking having a crack. And uh, it's just got to inspire you, you know. If people mm. are willing to risk the biscuit, risk it, risk that much for the biscuit, <laughs> uh, then, you know, what are you willing to do to get where you want to go? 
Yeah. And I think that Australian surfing is just in this bubbling, spicy, pedas, sambal deluxe <laughs> period. <laughs> And it's just about to burn the fucking taste buds off world surfing. Mark oh. my words, Vaughn. <laughs> I hope so, mate. I hope so. Because there's no question that if you're going to pick out a big four in surfing right now, it's the three Brazilians and John John. Like they're, they're, the, they're, the, they're the yardstick that everyone is measuring themselves against. Mm. But like, there's just no question that you know when, when you have that, that little shift, like the generational change that we've just been through of, you know, being in that privileged position of having your Joel, having your Mick, having, uh, you know, like that, that sort of expectation to win titles. We've been through our little period of letting that slide and I just feel like we're, like you say, on the cusp. We're on the cusp of seriously challenging. Mm. And I'm expecting Owen, Julian, uh, Ethan, Jack. Jack Cal- looks Callanan. fucking deadly. Callanan for sure. Mick, I mean, Mick Wright, the mullet-headed madman. And let's get fucking Morgs up there with his little cat. Go, Morgs! Morgs will on. win one. Morgs will win one in his rookie year. 100%. Um, oh, and- but just uh, just before we leave, uh, uh, Bronte and uh, Kale, just, you know, two absolute standouts in the past few months. And uh, congratulations for the, the big clip. And uh, we're going to look forward to having... Both those guys on the show at some point in the future. But, yeah, huge, huge Smithy. And a shout-out to Summer Longbottom as well, who's been, you know, as we said, packing it during those big swells as well. Indeed. Well played. Now, I ran a Ewing through Ancestry.com. I was really interested in the origins of the onomatopoeic Ew! And uh, it was, in fact, coined in honour of Ethan's great-granddad, Marvellous Marvin Ewing, an iconic fisherman from North Stradbroke Island, famous for lewd displays from his fishing vessel as he did drive-bys of the pub. These were early settler days, but sometimes he'd drop his jodpers and rip a spit the winkle over the side. Sometimes he'd spin the helicopter. He was famous for his interpretation of the wristwatch, even. And observers would comment, Ewing! Uh, as he went past. And eventually it just became, Ew! As he went past and his fishing boat spouting the winkle. So, uh... That's the origin of you. Mm. It all begins there on North Stradbroke Island with the great granddad of Ethan Ewing, Marvellous Marvin. How's his pelican dinner? Ah, uh, his pelican. Well, it was you no. Know, you, you pull the prong to full stretch and then you pull the ball bag out to meet it at full stretch. Makes uh, the appearance of a pelican beak. Is that correct? Yeah. Right, uh, perhaps we'll, uh, that'll be the next episode of Ancestry.com. <laughs> if, we, if, we, if we see Ethan pull a pelican out mid-heat, I'll be going, Ew! Defending five master champion Tom Carroll was in championship form, and with some new equipment, he advanced. I'm, I'm enjoying my equipment more. We've worked, uh, we worked hard on tire, new, new style board, and... It feels really good out here, so I'm really, really pleased with that. That's what I've been basically working on, improving my equipment. The term pipeline master is one which defines Derrico's abilities to surf this dangerous wave successfully. He's a four-time Triple Crown winner and the 1986 Pipe Masters champion. And Derrico on the very next wave. Take a look at this. This is a great-looking opening wave for Derek. He pulls up into the barrel, stands up. He's real stoked. He doesn't cut back at pipeline. This is his backyard. He surfs here all the time. He's stalling again. Look at him. He almost buries the nose, and he gets barreled again. Derrico's first wave is a good one. Derrico, 27 years old. The 1986 pipeline. All right, well, um, Tommy, it's it's me and um me and Smithy here, and um yes, Smithy. 
How yeah, are you, mate. Tommy? So Good, we, mate. we're just calling, mate, because you know, uh, in the absence of doing our regular episodes, uh, you know, we we lost an absolute legend. It's just such a, a huge figure in surfing. Um, a guy you were very close to. A guy you had, you know, some of the most supreme battles in the ultimate furnace. You know, like you two at the peak of your powers at Pipeline. Uh, we're talking about Derek Ho, <laughs> of course. Mate, um, yeah. tell us, you know, uh, what are your memories of Derek um, and, and what sort of guy was he? Well, yeah, Derek went by the beat of his own drum big time, you know, like, um, but, you know, inside that person who was really, uh, like, quite, quite a ruthless competitor um, who brought that out in me, I think... Um, in in that arena, like he he really pulled that out of me, uh, but I think underneath it, he was really gracious, like with his his respect, and he he didn't carry it, you know what I mean, out of the water and onto land. Mm. what I mean? So he was able to sort of separate the business from the from well the non business side of things. I know that, and he was—he was very just a stealth competitor in a wave pool, or a, or pipeline. Wow. So we we both went at it, finals in in both places. So it's kind of kind of interesting. And he, you know, he took a tile off Kelly. Like he's pretty pretty amazing in in his his ability to apply himself. So and very very much like a classic hoe, like. They both they've all got a great strategy when they move into things, and I think with Derek he had a really well thought out strategy before he moved into things. It was innate in his character. Yeah. Fascinating, Tommy. I'd love to know. Can you talk us through just how the pecking order used to function in those days? Who who sat at the top of it? How set waves were divvied out? Um, you know where you fit into that pecking <laughs> order? How you manage? You know how Howleys would manage to kind of make their way through it or up it or survive it. How did it all fit together? with Howley Rot. I got Howley Rot. <laughs> it's, it's Freckles. Howley Rot. <laughs> Howley Rot? I got Howley Rot. You know, I, I came up with Howley Rot. And I was like, well, I think it's got something to do with that fungus thing on your skin. But, um, you know, but <laughs> I heard my original, the way I heard it was that you got Freckles, you got Howley Rot. <laughs> That's why you had it bad. <laughs> that weird skin fungus thing—it can make you look a bit blotchy. But I don't know. Yeah, a big day at Pipe. What are your memories? Talk us through like a bit a, a classical kind of memory uh, or anecdote from a big day at Pipe when the pecking order was in full effect. My first surf at Pipe was like it was big and uh, second reef, beautiful Pipe. It was a kind of um, early afternoon. And I'll never forget it, sort of the detail of that. And um, and I was riding a 7-2 Simon Anderson Pintail fit single fin. I was 16. It was 1978, just after the 1977, you know, busting down the door year. And Ooh. and pipeline was solid. And I was this skinny little, like, nine-half stone ring and wet um, kid. And um, I'm, I'm with Critter Burn and Joe Ingle on the beach. Who both surf pipe for, and I'm looking at this amazing like I've never seen anything like it. You know, like this big, 
I've seen it in movies, but when it's real, you just go, oh, I can't even get out. I'm not going to get out there, especially on this beast of a 7.2 that Simon had showed me. It was like three inches thick. Um, and I was literally – it's kind of akin to paddling, you know, one of those Molokai freaking open ocean paddleboard, 12, 12 wow. foot sock glass mm. board, right, for this little kid. And, um, you know, all my heroes were out there, like, I was watching Sean Thompson on his pink Spider Murphy doing backside arcs, you know, under the lip. I was watching Jerry Lopez get deep and his beautiful yellow lightning bolt. I'll never forget that day. It was a really powerful day. Jackie Dunn, I'd never heard of him. There's Rory Russell. Uh, all like everyone was out there, you know. Rabbit was out there on his big clear lightning bolt. It was the whole gang. Um and it was intense because no one was happy in the water those days. It was all intense, stink eye, you know, that sort of stuff going on. So um, um, that was an incredible day to watch uh, how how dominant the, you know, the local crew were and the energy in the lineup. I, I didn't even go outside. I actually hung on the inside and took some waves on the inside and to my sort of surprise, you know, to the you know, sort of happy, sort of surprised that it was going a little bit like inside Narrabeen, you know, mm. but a bigger version, more intense and a lot more at stake. No leg wraps are loud. And um, and so, yeah, it was it was intense. And uh, the, the next year I ended up in the final of the Pipeline Masters and I got just getting sandwiched by Dane Killar and, and Larry Bertelman. They just didn't want to let me get a wave. They... They made and, and Larry Blair just just snuck around and took all the sets. <laughs> wow! And uh, I don't know how I, I made my way in really, uh, other than just sort of just played my cards right with. You know, I was a little guy, a little guy at school. I had to kind of be almost like I used to gain had to gain support, you know, mm. and um, I wasn't like the big guy who has either got into a fight or got picked on or, or wanted to fight, you know, or didn't want to fight but had to fight. Mm. I didn't really I had a couple of fights but I never had to really, like, go at it um, no, a couple of times. It, but it's, nothing... It's an interesting It's an interesting strategy, too, by by Larry Blair, Larry Blair, the, you know, original kind of bra boy. Like, growing up on the South Side, uh, I think we all became very accustomed to, you know, Weaving around uh, warring Polynesians, so it's it's a, it's a kind of a sixth, a sixth <laughs> sense you develop over there. So I can kind of see how he managed to 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 see the, the, the drama unfolding. Really warring Polynesians, uh, but I know what you mean. Or like you know, like a yeah, like seething a conflict uh, prone Polynesians. Let's say, <laughs> well, I mean, politically it correct. Like the, it was the blow-ins that got kind of crazy. You know, it was more like the the people that come in. Um, on the show and then take on the local cause. Whereas actually the Hawaiians that I knew, like, like um, I eventually, you know, got to know Dane really well. I, you know, like it was it was people like Lou Ferreira I used to hang out with. Uh, he used to come and stay at my house when he surfed the, surfed the events here and, and hang out with the Newport boys. <laughs> he got a real taste for Newport boys back then. And that was in the early 80s, but... And then Michael Ho, I used to hang out with Michael a bit, and uh, and and Mark Liddell, 
those guys used to really welcome me mm. in as sort of as opposed to that bustling down down the door kind of generation. Plus, I had Simon Anderson who kind of was my mentor really in those first couple of years and on the North Shore. And Simon, he didn't show off anything. It was uh, the only thing that showed out of Simon was his surfing and expertise and ability just to be quietly achieving, you know. And that's what I really liked. I really kind of gravitated towards that. And so I had I had some good support on land in, in Hawaii and it wasn't, you know, and I always got along with, with Eddie Rothman. It was never, I've never had a, uh, a bad moment with that guy. So he's, he's always been supportive, yeah. So, Tom, the... the your first trip to uh, Hawaii, as you say, you know, you're, you're out there enjoying your first afternoon. Uh, as the tour begins to grow and everyone's travelling together and getting to know each other, so you're not just getting over there and being a strange face in the lineup. Clearly, uh, by the time, you know, you're starting to make your way up the pecking order, you're also, that's coinciding with your world titles. Mm. Uh, at, what point, yeah. at what point did you sort of know that you were paddling out a pipe and you were going to get set waves and what are your earliest memories of seeing Derek in that lineup? Was it was it clear right from the get go that he was going to paddle out and be someone who was, you know, destined to be a name out there? Uh, there was a lot of really good surfers apart um, in that, like when Derek came along in the kind of early to mid eighties, kind of more like yeah, like that eighty four, eighty five. Mm-hmm. Um, he turns up and all of a sudden he's surfing really good at pipe, like all of a sudden. It was almost like he was he wasn't there and all of a sudden he was boom, he was there. <laughs> um It's funny because it's just like you see that so often, like a breakout wave, then all of a sudden they're on every single breakout wave for the rest of the winter. You see that now even. Well, it was uh, there was a lot of guys, the local guys who were really good out there that kind of dominated, and there was like you know Marvin Foster, Max Medeiros, mm. um, you know Ronnie Burns. There was um, a lot of energy out there with those guys, and um, you know it, it kind of there was other local guys before that who I guess there were more California guys like um, Brian Buckley and. Um, uh, he lives in Bali now. He's really good out there. I can't remember his name. Mm. Anyway, really good surfing a pipe, knew what they're doing. And there was a couple of, yeah, a few guys that were just, but the local guys, like I just mentioned, who kind of were, you know, a little bit younger than Michael, maybe about the same age as Michael. Uh, Hope, maybe Mike was a bit older. It's kind of hard to tell his age. <laughs> but he, he, uh, he, Michael, Derek would sort of slipstream Michael eventually in, and and then just start to dominate places like Pipe because he, you know, he was a goofy footer. He really felt confident out there and he he just took the line straight away. He had really good boards from Eric Akawa particularly and a few other local guys, but basically Eric Akawa started to put him under really beautiful pieces of equipment that then he become a real threat. Like, um, I felt like um, I wanted to win at sunset before pipe, which I eventually did. And and then once I'd done that, I kind of felt really confident about pipe. I felt, okay, well, now it's time to kind of the campaigns on pipe. And I had a shocker. <laughs> it took me a while. 
um, to kind of really um, nail it. That, that happened in 87. That was like, mm. I guess, you know, five years later. It took me five years to kind of get get a, you know, that, that my first Masters. After. Yeah. So that, that 87 Pipe Masters is such a memorable win for you. It was uh, just amazing, you know, heavy surf. Um, mm. But then mm. the next year in 88, uh, that's kind of the wave that I really remember, you know, from being a surf fan and a grommet. Uh, Derek Ho gets this giant glassy orb. Uh, I think it's mm. in one of the Billabong films, and it's just, it's like he's announcing that the new prince is in town, and yes. it just coincides perfectly with your dominant era at Pipe. Mm. So really, it's, yeah. it sort of starts to become this story of you and him being the two guys who everyone's looking at when Pipeline starts breaking. What was it like? I mean, we, we know that, you know, in um, uh, I think it's 91, is that the Pipe Masters where you sort of snake up underneath him? Yeah, yeah. I kind of I, I get one on him at Pipe. Yeah, that, that, in the that's, final. that's the moment that, like, talk about you and him in the lineup at Pipeline before that moment, uh, more so just free surfing, where you're both okay. alpha males out well, there. Well, um, free surfing, we, we sort of just, you know, Derek. Derek and like like the whole like the whole lot of them. I mean, there's a, a innate ability to kind of read the lineup really well. They can sort of paddle into a lineup and know exactly where to sit for the best waves in the lineup. So if you look, if one of them's out there. You see Michael out there. You see even Coco, and, and <laughs> even though we get a really um, a great character, like this beautiful character in Mason. Uh, he knows where to go. He knows exactly innately where to sit and where to get the best ways from. Derek was a master at that. He knew he could he could read and and figure the lineup very quickly, and and he and he was just ready to just take the biggest and the best way from the best spot. So, uh, and that and uh, you know I was definitely up for that. <laughs> <laughs> I was. Yeah. I was definitely up for that, and um, and going deep, and I and I loved that about Derek. That was like I, I liked seeing where he was going, where he was taking them from, and understanding uh, we were taking a different approach. But um, in the final in 1985, I uh, I was paddling as the six man final, and I got caught in a scene with you know not a scene, but just in a I got so harassed, I got so bamboozled by. Michael and Derek on the on the out in the second reef, and it was proper pipe. I think Oki won it, and um, and Oki hung on the inside and caught the insiders. We went outside, and that took three of us outside, and we were out there just jostling, and they just bamboozled, bamboozled, bamboozled me like completely. <laughs> I I got to about twelve minutes into the heat, which is very odd. A long time for me not to get a wave, right? Twelve minutes into the final, I'm going. I, I haven't got a wave yet, and that's what kind of they kind of got me so angry. I I just went right and had this seven six rusty Priestendor for Widowmaker, and because I, I didn't trust the thruster yet at, in Hawaii, I still hadn't got my head around it, and and, and mind you, this is the this is the response to. Or reaction to the bamboozle, the ho bamboozle, like the the kind of strategy they had to sort of pull me outside and mix me, 
mixed me up. Oh, the suspense is killing me, Tommy. <laughs> what happened? Finally got this nasty thing from the second reef, and I was, and I was on a drop down that broke. Did this bottom turn, and I went right. I'm just going to throw this thing on the lip. I was so angry. I reckon it was a 10-foot wave, and I just went, stick it up in there and did this big thing underneath the lip and and caught on the way down. <laughs> oh, it was the precursor to the snap. It was your first yeah, attempt. Yeah, kind of precursor to the snap. Wow. And, and now I, I got so annihilated. I got, I got, I came up near the shore, it felt like. Like I was under, under for like, I don't know how long, but I got dragged for, right across the reef and, and it just completely annihilated me. So I got my comeuppance for losing my cool. <laughs> and was that was that in the back of your brain in the ninety one final? Was that was that bamboozlement and, and all of that still there somewhere lurking under the surface, do you reckon, when you look, battled out? Look, it lays down a memory, right? Uh, you know, memory into the system that, you know, like just don't let that happen again. Mm. Um, in this competitive environment. Uh, as as things came down for me, I, you know, in 88, I, I missed the chance of my third world title and I just, and uh, I actually remember that wave that Derek got, like in that, he got an incredible wave, um, surfed beautifully that year. That was in the Billabong, um, right. last event of the year, beautiful pipeline. And and from there on in, I decided, look, I, I'm not going to, three-year campaign to go for another world title and um, have a technicality on interference. Somewhere in my 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 body, my mind, whatever, just said, I'm, you know, that's me. I'm, I'm not – if they're going to keep this thing up, I just don't trust it. So – but I did do – I did trust that I could win events that I really wanted to win. And, and when, I, when I got to Pipeline the following years um, – I started to yeah I got 1990 and then 1991 it um, and I wanted to win Pipeline Masters that's what I wanted to win so I got to the final with Derek in it in 91 and I just knew where he was going um, and where he wanted to go with it I felt uh, the focus that I wanted and I was actually on top of my game I felt really good Every, everything was falling into place my board was really sweet. And, you know, that equipment thing, you don't want to be thinking about your equipment. Things are going to be part of your feet. And so that was the nature of that board. And and I felt like I could just do things with, with without too much thought and well, with no thought in the way. So that's, uh, yeah, so Derek was in, um, in a really good position. He was on the inside and the set was coming from, it was going to break on the second reef. It was really clear, and Damien was in the mix, Dilma. Um, Mr. X was just away for he wasn't in the mix on the takeoff, and uh, and it was sort of okay. Maybe I'll be able to sort of slow up my paddling so I can make Derek. He just was a little bit too, could be a little bit too inside on this one, and I just slowed up my paddling because I knew that was going to create some issues for him. So that's what happened. Like, and I just went, oh, God, I might have to go this. <laughs> I, was like, I was like, at last minute, oh, I think it might work out. Boom, I'm going. <laughs> and how did he, how did he, you know, I, I, I think we've talked about this before, but just, just take us back through it, you know. It's such a pivotal moment. It's such a, a famous victory. Uh, but, 
but sliding up underneath Derek, kind of blocking him in a way, but also he was a bit too deep. It just, mm. you know, how did he, what was his take on the, on that scene? Yeah, because you know who also tried that? Neko Paderatz uh, on Sonny Garcia, and it didn't pan out so well for old Neko. <laughs> <laughs> I can't remember that. What happened there? Uh, let's just say it ended with uh, Neko Paderatz praying for his life at the uh, at the the feet, I believe it was of uh, uh, who was the uh, what was his name uh, the Van the, the Triple Crown director oh, Randy Randy Rarick. Yeah. That's the Randy. Yeah. Oh, okay, fair enough. Yeah. And Sunny <laughs> uh, Sunny stalking the uh, perimeter like an angry. Angry alpha male. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You got yeah. Yeah, I mean, so, I mean, you and you and Derek must have talked about it. Well, what was his take on that moment? You know, in the times, or was it just something that you just, you know, it's like having an ex girlfriend that you share. Well, this or something. is where you know you see people's true nature come through. I think you know, and this is where I saw Derek. He had he didn't hold anything. He didn't show me any. You know, he just said, "You got it." You know, mm. he just. Good on it. I'm, I'm happy for you. I'm stoked for you. He was always really, and he, I think we just had that mutual respect, um, very strong, deep mutual respect for that. You know, we loved, we were passionate for, passionate for that arena. And when we, you know, we meet, you know, we meet each other at that place, it's like, you have a, a deep respect, you know, and I think he was able to – he didn't hold anything against me. Over the years, it was – you know, he he didn't express any – He just knew. Uh, he just uh, knew it was that. just always very respectful and, so, and he was very gracious. So as you were dropping in, he basically went, well played, Tommy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well played. <laughs> hey, mate, um, just – We know the rules, like, you know, you can do that. To me, at any given moment. So I'm like, you know, he knows that that's competition. It's not. It wasn't something that to you know bring under the land. It was just what was going on at Pipe that day. Mm. I think Derek really was had a really good grasp on that. I'm interested to know too, Tommy. Like, what's it like seeing guys like Derek pass? You know, who who you had so much in common with at, at one point. You know, you were both. Alpha males at pipe, um, and also the lifestyle on land was was so fast paced and full on, like you know, and, and you, you know the, the road kind of forked for you, and you went down your path. Um, yeah. So what's it like, um, you know, seeing how how does it feel? I guess to see someone mm. pass you once shared so much with. It's like you know, he, he, you did cook the cook the camel both ends and. Um, for a long, long time. So whatever's going on for the – you just never know what's going inside the body unless you get it all tested and checked out and, and you might find that out that <laughs> later on in life. Like on, I know that that's just the case. You get closer to what's going on inside us so we can, you know, maintain some sort of really good health, you know, so we can engage. And I think with Derek, he, you know, it's really sad to have him go, like, it was really, it was amazing seeing what he was doing at Pipe. Uh, today, it was freaking me out. I was going, God, does that mean i got to go? And I was going over there in Feb after all this stuff that I'd seen him pushing it. And, you know, Kelly was going, oh, fuck, so what, are you going to go, you know, you know, drill it out with, you know. He was, <laughs> he was like poking the, poking the fucking, 
that beast with no, me. Fair go, goat. <laughs> huh? Fair go, goat. Come on, mate. Yeah, fair go, goat. Well, you drew yeah, him. Fair go, fuck. <laughs> and I, go, I went over going, oh, God, have I got to go out there like that? I'm going, he was just going for it, and he was doing amazing stuff at Pop already. Still, I mean, still. So, um, and there was that one where he got lifted back up on by the spit, and I think that was in April, wasn't it? Was that like mm. late? Arch or something? Yeah, it was this year, just that big soul arch sort of uh, almost an accident, but you never really know with those guys. Bad at the perfect time so he didn't fall off the back of his board. Getting back on his board was just beautiful. Mm. I go on that. It's just a full sketchy, really tippy toes sliding on a couple of mil of the rail. And he got down it and then he pulled up into it, thick thing, and a few people paddling around on the takeoff. And he, he just got that spit in the – he's kind of lost his balance as he kind of came out. It looked like – and it was still quite solid as he came out and it just spat like crazy. And it just – because he's quite light, Derek. He's quite light frame, um, lightly built. And he was just, just put back on his board and said, You're, you've made it. Mm. It's okay, Derek. Fuck <laughs> Uh, mate, look, I was tripping on that one. Before we let you go, just um, in the pantheon of greats, where does Derek Ho sit? Because, you know, he was a, Hawaii's first ever world champ, uh, a pipeline master, um, you know, just a, an absolute legend. He's part of a, of a dynasty that, that just keeps on giving back to surfing. You know, where, where should we remember Derek Ho when we, when we think of him as surf fans? Well, right there, you just said it, I think. Like, um, he, he's, yeah, I mean, he's always, I was talking to Lynch about him a couple of days ago on the phone and uh, thinking about how, you know, amazing kind of life that he came through and, and how, he, how he influenced so many local Hawaiians in, in our kind of like proving ground, you know. He stood up um, and defined himself and continued to do so. All the way to the end. Like, so, you know, he was probably going, okay, well, here we go. Next winter, 2020, I'm ready, 2021. <laughs> um, I'm sure he didn't plan on dying of a heart attack. Mm. But, uh, so, you know, it was, in a way, you know, nothing's out of place. You know, everything's well and widely, wisely said. He's there to very much kind of set a benchmark for young Hawaiians and surfers beyond who he communicated to that excellence that he brought to it. You know, he's a Jerry Lopez lineage kind of. He drew the same lines. He drew a, a, these traditional, authentic, very critical lines in, a, you know, one of the greatest, you know, competitive arenas for surfing and, and actually, yeah. So Derek, and, he, and yeah, he, he deserves to be, to be remembered for a long time to come, you know, forever. Mm. Here, here. Beautifully said, Tommy. Beautifully said. Thanks, Tommy. Pure Appreciate poetry. It's under or over. Tyler Wright takes a stand by not taking a stand, mm. by taking a knee. Yeah. With her Black Lives Matter insignia on her surfboard. And it's polarised 
the surfing community, I guess. I guess. Like, if you look at comment boards, things look divided. But, I mean, as I've always said, like, you don't take... You, you don't take... You don't use comment boards as your barometer for public opinion. Like, they're fucking made up of generally... Uh, kind of weirdos with too much time on their hands who are scrolling between uh, red tube f- stuffing Twinkies in their face and mm. then you know leaving really angry cynical post jizz comments on the, comment boards yeah you yeah, know, you know that right. post jizz state for yeah, you know what it's like it's, it's, you're coming down you're single <laughs> you're fat you're overweight you've been stuffing your grill with Twinkies yeah and you just you're just angry swap. at the world the comment boards is no generally in out. no in out in out Mate, even our comment boards is, is a swamp. Well, that <laughs> I really mean, God bless the Swellians, but I like that. That's everyone's everyone's got when they've got a platform, and then they've got comment boards. It, it brings out the absolute best and worst in people. You get yeah. you get wonderful, thoughtful, insightful, fucking genius calls on there, and you also get complete and utter fucking ding dongs. You're talking about spewing me spewing their guts right? when you say the with genius. no thought or feeling, with no research, just just spewing whatever fucking emotion happens to come to their head as they're sitting there typing away. Mm-hmm. It's, it's it's the double edged sword, and we've all got to cop it. But I also say this, like you know, you look at the the likes on that post, f- f- which the public can't see, but mm. we can see, and it's like I think it was one of the most liked posts we've ever had. It was mm. like something like thirteen hundred or fucking 2,700 or whatever it was, like th- that was the amount of people who liked it yeah. versus the amount of people who left comments. Mm. So like the, the amount of people who left comments was like, fuck all, it was probably like 20, 30 people versus those numbers of people who totally believed and agreed with what Tyler said. So and I would assume that, you know, so you, you, your average moderate rational person doesn't bother to leave a comment is what I'm saying. Mm. So therefore comments can be, Broadly disregarded as <laughs> except post when we jizz gibberish. <laughs> except when we ask, get the ask a question thing. Then we then right. the it's come out force when we ask questions. Well, I mean the the, tur- the turbo coffee and bong waffle that you know pollutes our comment boards generally it's fantastic. Is, is fantastic. Yes, unbelievable. Uh, Cut above. Mm. Next level. Some of the best to, 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 post-jizz uh, bong waffle on the internet. Every now and again, we get uh, a comment on there. You, you would have seen these ones, Vivi, where they're like, hey, fucking stick to the surfing and leave the politics to someone else. I'm like, do you even know what Smithy does for a living, cunt? Oh, and I mean, I come from the lineage of Scum Valley's finest himself, the original urban Hessian Shane Haran, who was one of the most politicised sportsmen uh, of, I don't know, all time. Him and Tommy Carroll, uh, that was, you know, that's the kind of culture that, I'm a part of. So it's sport and politics have always been fused and life and politics are always fused. You can't fucking ignore politics. If you ignore politics, that means you're voting for the status quo and you mm. think, think things should stay the same. So it's a fucking cop out. Shut your fucking mouth. <laughs> I'll take your fucking head off, you fucking dog cunt. Say it in my face. But we're not here to talk about lo- the lo- comment lo- board. Uh, the reaction, certainly. Um, it, it, it was polarising, I think. I think there was a lot of people who, who felt you know, there's been mixed reactions all over the place. I mean, some people really appreciated it, really thought that it was a well thought out, uh, brave thing to do. Um, I, I think, you know, when I being on the beach when it was uh, going down, it felt powerful. There was no denying it. There, there was emotion in the air. The air was charged. It felt important, and uh, more than anything, it was delivered with. It was delivered by someone who has taken the time to get deep on this topic and, and, and felt obligated 
due to not just the uh, fuck the absolutely you know disgusting state of affairs with uh, black lives in America in Australia all the things that are going on, particularly with the incarceration and, and the treatment of Aboriginals uh, in custody, black people in America. You know, Tyler has taken the time to look into these things, educate herself, listen to people who are, you know, at the top of their fields in this, in this sort of, you know, debate that's going on. And she, because of her principles and because of who she is, she felt like she had to do something about it. Mm. And man... You know, it wasn't about her. Like I saw some comments saying, you know, this is fucking just another, you know, attempt to get exposure or like just these stupid comments. This was about standing up for something that she believed in. And? And doing it in a really fucking classy way. I, I thought, you know, that it was everything from her statement to the amount of time she took out of the, her heat, 439 seconds. Oh, wow. For... for for every death. Yeah, she used up that time from custody. the heat. Yep. And still flogged the competitor. Are you kidding? Yeah. I, I, you know, it wasn't a, a token gesture, Smithy. It was well thought out and it was done by a woman with principles who is fucking pissed off and upset about the state of affairs mm. in the world when it comes to black lives. Mm. Uh, it was. Uh, but let us also remember that the road to hell is paved with good intentions, Vaughn. But, uh, I mean, interestingly... Mikey has just proposed, uh, as far as I know, to a, an Aboriginal first Australian woman, um, mm. Renee Carey. So they've now got an Aboriginal in the family. So that brings it all much closer to home for, for Tyler. And I'm sure these are, you know, like how can you not uh, have, you know, you, I'm sure they're very tight. I'm sure they're very close, uh, Renee and Tyler. And how can you not have um, your brother's fiance in your mind when you're seeing Black people in the States get shot dead when you're looking at the statistics of uh, 439 black deaths in custody in Australia since 1991. Imagine what was going on before 91. Mm. Imagine how many fucking murders there were by police of black people. The mind boggles, mate. Fuck, what was going on from 1930 to 1990? It's just, you don't want to even, I mean, you do want to know, you have to know. Because you're a fucking weak human if you can't stare facts in the face. Well, this is it. And this, that's, that, this, this is what the conversation's about. Um, so, yeah. So, I mean, she was totally within her rights to do what she did. I guess, like, that. my only critique of that kind of, that stand and, and, and the, some of the language she used is that it, it is very much part of that. 2020, like, woke culture, the, you know... Uh, they mention, you know, uh, gender discrimination. They mention uh, sexual preference discrimination. They uh, mention race discrimination. But they don't mention class. And I find that odd because at the end of the day, to me, it all boils down to class. And, and coloured people are overrepresented in the lower classes, the working class, the working poor, the welfare class. And I think when, when, we, when this conversation becomes about class, we're actually all on the same boat. Uh, we're all j- joined and uh, in solidarity against the elites, the billionaires. Um, and I, I'll just read, fuck, I'll just read what I wrote on the comment board because like, I can't say it any better than that. Mm. Yeah, I wrote, do not let this divide us. This is about equality. This is about rich versus poor, not black versus white. 
not left versus right. No one deserves to be treated poorly based on the color of their skin. So, uh, yeah, to me, it's all about, uh, you know, the prison industrial complex. It's about, uh, you know, the redlining of black people in America into living in shitty uh, areas with decrepit housing that are surrounded by uh, police who are hungry to put these people away and uh, earn money for the billionaires who run the prison industrial complex. Like, you've got to mention class, man. Otherwise, it fucking puts a lot of noses out of joint. That's what I know. But you're in, yeah, and you're in a position where, you know, the education that you've been able to give yourself by, you know, listening, reading, whatever it is, wherever you're working on building sites, man, on, digging yeah, holes with every color and experience you in have South accumulated Sydney. Social mobility is, is where I learned everything. I didn't pay attention to uni. <laughs> I went, to, I went, sir, I was like, what? Well, I don't have to be here. I'm going, but sir. it's something not everyone has access to, Smithy. And so, like, every, you, no, but you, 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 I'm not uh, sorry, it's something you have had access to because of the way that you've been, the, the way that your life I has gone, I learned more right? on a building site than I did in university on, in South Sydney. So that's what I'm saying. And I'm saying that working class people are a lot more intelligent than they're given credit and they simplify things. They distill things. They remove all that fucking bourgeois waffle and they completely understand that they've been thoroughly ripped off. And when, and when I'm talking about working class people, I'm not talking about white people. I'm talking about working class people. So like, you know, when people want to talk about equality, well, why don't we like uh, talk about then the, the real Australian, American and uh, European working class who are making us clothes in Indonesian sweatshops. Mm. Uh, you know, where's that conversation? That's where class takes you immediately. And uh, working class people, you know, globally have been so thoroughly ripped off. We should be working 15-hour work weeks, man. Mm. Like there's been this crazy theft of productivity. So like there's so much anger in the world right now. Like there's this uh, uh, working class rage that has gripped the planet. And unless you address that in any kind of call for equality, you're going to cop the brunt of that rage. They're going to fucking hate you. Mm. Well said. I, I, I back that like that's my I, I don't believe that I learn a whole lot at uni I feel like a lot of people that go down that path get thoroughly indoctrinated and brainwashed by this kind of like identity politics fad which I, I'm almost convinced when you look at the history of identity politics you know it come out of like Harvard in the 90s which is a colonial imperial American institution I'm almost convinced it's like CIA psyops or some shit because the first anyone heard of identity politics it was being championed by multinational corporations the great champions of equality <laughs> that are corporations they were suddenly saying oh we're, we're diverse we're equal mm. uh, but they never mentioned class they never mentioned alleviating poverty it's it's just a fucking weird capitalist fad no well uh, yeah my point wasn't that that was something you learned in college it was something that in your experience of life you've been able to look at the systemic failures and discover where you know the contributing factors to where they come from but commenting on anything without doing a little bit of research and, and getting stuck into it you know whether it's it's just about listening really more than anything if you if you've got access to the right people and you can figure out exactly like uh, uh, these conversations like we're having right now they must happen like that's where what Tyler does is a fantastic thing because it might not be something that everyone agrees with but at least it gets people talking oh totally and that, that, that is yeah. how we have got to be and 100%. That's why that is just not an empty token in my view it's something that not at all took some backbone it, she she came at it with 
you know, the intention of making light of something that she feels passionately about and now the conversations roll. And hopefully that leads to change. Totally. A hundred percent, man. It was a great stand. I, I totally back it. Um, you know, that was my one minor criticism of it. Some of the language did remind me of some of the gibberish that comes out of the far left. Mm. Um, but yeah, it was fucking iconic. And, you know, we've been calling for this for weeks and weeks in multiple episodes. We've been calling for the re repoliticization of surfing because it is a countercultural pursuit ultimately that you know is so heavily rooted in respect for nature uh you know like it's rooted in the the sid freaks of the 60s and 70s Mm. uh meditation you know jerry lopez the original guru the og you know he the guy's meditating in the mountains in oregon leaving no trail tommy carroll these are our forefathers but they've also got that seedy underbelly all those guys mate they've all They've all gotten the mud, you know, their understanding of the world yeah. and, and humans and, and what all of the stuff that contributes to who we are and how we behave. They're connected it, to it. The, it's got to come out of the slime somehow. Totally. I mean, these people all experienced quite uh, remarkable social mobility. They, they, they schlepped it with impoverished people mm. in impoverished corners of the world. They fully understand equality in a way that some fucking middle-class university student just never can, <laughs> never will. Mate, while we're on the subject of this, why don't we uh, give the new editor slash owner of Surfing World a buzz? Uh, we've got uh, Sean Doherty, who is... Oh, we've got to give know, it we've never had him on. We haven't given it over and under yet. I oh, mean, it's, it's, it's implicit. It's, it's, it's a massive it's, it's a huge over. Well played. Huge over. But uh, yeah, we've never had Sean on, on the show. So let's give him a buzz, find out what's going on with Surfing World, because I think he's got plans to actually take it into uh, a frontline fucking pamphlet for the awakening okay well welcome at long last the master the maestro of the written word in surf his uh accomplishments are longer well way longer than his hairline but uh shawno welcome to ain't that swell at last mate sorry it took so long to get you on yeah thanks for mate i've got splinters i've been sitting on the bench that long (laughs) oh brother but I mean, it's not like you haven't been busy, man. You've been so flat out, uh, basically tearing the government a new one and the opposition and anyone else who uh, has basically vested interests in the power game of running the country and and raping our natural resources and destroying, you know, ancient fucking cultural sites. Uh, How do you find the time, mate, to even write about surfing? Oh, mate, it's... um... But it's turned into a sport, really. It's, it's actually quite enjoyable. Um, obviously not the uh, what they're doing, but getting stuck into these guys. It's just, mate, it just blows your mind. For one, you sit there and, and you just look at what's going on around you and you can't believe it's real. It's like, it seems like some twisted joke, you know, that you know, a company can just walk in and blow up a 46,000-year-old sacred site. No worries. Perfectly legal. Cool. It's like, but that's you know that's Australia. Yeah, but if you if you if you like put a you know an upside down flag on a statue, off you go to prison. Oh, income the right squad. Yeah, yeah totally. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I know, mate. We're losing it totally. Uh, well, I think that like you know one of the main things that that has been a big passion of Smithies for a long time, uh, and something that you know you've you're obviously uh, passionate about is is the source of news, how we get it. Uh, how it's distributed. Smivy's got his own news site now, uh, Zant Magazine, which you've probably checked out. But I, I think before you were sort of tapping people in here, this sort of information was just so hard to find. 
Mate, no one's tr- no one trusts anything anymore, Vorno. It's like there is so much bullshit out there, and it's everywhere. It's like it's in the mainstream media, in particular. It's at the top and it's at the bottom, and it's on socials. And it's like trying to find a like an honest line that runs through that somewhere is actually pretty tough. Mm. And it, it's kind of funny how it's all like you know we work in the media and um, we've kind of slowly seen it, you know decay away over the years but but there's still some really good like it and it's that mate it's what's happened in surf media mate. it's it's almost gone independent mm. like the really good sources of it has gone independent and you can find this stuff and it's still around and there's still crew working in it and really good you know good investigative journos um who are kind of in it just for the for you know to get the, the truth out there and it's not attached to any huge business model and um and it's kind of, you know, it's where we've landed. But people, hey, it's just kind of looking at what's happened in this lockdown thing. It's twisted just the amount of bullshit that's floating around out there right now. Mm, it's, it's funny what you say there about trust because uh, is the surf media, uh, you know, is that the canary in the coal mine for, for the bigger media corporations? Because, I mean, almost every single major title that had, you know, immense power pretty much for the, the entire duration of the surf industry has just about disappeared yeah. <laughs> mate you think back like 20 years when you and i were in those offices they're on like the fifth floor and and you had another two floors above you of all these idiots that running around you know uh running the show in suits and you look at it now mate, i'm literally doing this interview in my back room and it's like the spare beds in here and there's shit everywhere and that's the surfing world office. I know. Well, <laughs> this is the great <laughs> irony of all the things. The the longest running surf mag in Australia by a long shot and then the second longest running mag in the world, Surfing World, which, you know, I was editor of for uh, 10 years. I think uh, Reggae was the editor at one stage. Kidman did a stint there. Uh, now yourself. Um, why, mate? Why do it to yourself? Why get into print publishing at this stage of the game? Oh, why the fuck would you buy a surf mag? Seriously. Mm. Um, no, like me and Johnny, because Johnny Frank's in as well. Um, mate, you've dragged every single dinosaur out of the uh, tar pit for this one. <laughs> the Frankosaurus. <laughs> you know, Frank's actually, Frank's actually in Spain right now. Yeah. yeah. Stuck, in Mallorca, stuck in Mallorca. So he, I'm in my back room, he's in Mallorca, and we're trying to pull this thing together. But, um, but mate, it's... Like, it, it made absolutely no sense at all. Like, when we you looked at it, you just go, oh, mate, it's like the way everything's going. It's, and you could doomsay it all and just go, it's all going to go to shit and it's, it's circling the drain. But then it kind of, at the same time, you, you watch what's happened over the, the lockdown period and everyone's just surfed their brains out. Um, and it's been quality surfing too. You know, mm. you've been able to go and, and just do day after day of really good waves and and... And you're kind of riding all your boards, and you you, you get in a really good rhythm, and I reckon that's it's kind of shifted people's thinking a little bit, and and they realise how good surfing actually is, mm. and it's it's kind of rebounded a little bit as well, and and I think um, like I said, it made no sense at all to buy Surfing World, but then at the same time, it made perfect sense, yeah. and so and so here we are, mate, and, it, and people just <clears throat> people you know love the title, like you you know it. It's it's been around and it's it's a really roots publication and it just would have been shit to see it die. Like, mm. 
I wouldn't have been able to sleep. Like, you wouldn't have been able to sleep. Oh, no. If it, if it had a keeled over. No, for sure, mate. For sure. I mean, Terry Fitz has this, this classic line. Uh, you know, in regards to the industry, and and, he, and it it goes something like outlast the bastards, because <laughs> you know, I mean, his company hot butted. It was always something that you know he had such a, a core set of values in underneath it and behind it, and he went through his ups and downs with it. But at the end of the day, he just kept on keeping on, and uh, yep. you know, I think that with surfing world, for example, um, with the way that the media is going, it, it's important to have it there. It's just, you know, it doesn't have to be uh, the, the powerful voice that it once was, but it, it's gone through periods of that anyway, where it, it became almost, you know, completely irrelevant and then would have another set of uh, legs, like you say. And um, I just think, what, what, what sort of direction are you going to take it, though, mate, to, to make it, you know, get back onto the, uh, the running track and, and sprinting? Yeah, it's going to, um, probably going to do a few things with it. We're going to, like, actually invest a bit, bit in it. It's, you know, it's kind of suffered a little bit down the track because it's done the thing that every mag's done. It's been squeezed for budgets and it contributors been squeezed. Mag's got skinnier. It's, it's like I said, everything's kind of felt like it's circling the drain. So we're going to do a bigger mag. Um, obviously, with Frank there, it'll, it'll be a little more high-end in mm-hmm. terms of the photography and how it looks and, and how it presents. Um, but we're also going to, like, it tapped into that thing we opened up with it. We're going to try and like, have some bigger conversations in there as well. Like you, you think back 20 years and when the industry was flying, all you talked about was was kind of surfing in the industry and it's kind of so removed from that now. And, mm. and we're kind of going to try and channel some of the, like the glory days of, um, of like, you know, tracks and SW back in the 70s where they, they kind of had, they had conversations about big social issues, like big yeah. environmental issues. Um, and I think people want that stuff now. It's and it, it probably fills another gap too in that in that they can't get information anywhere else, proper stuff. And so why not have it in a surf mag as well? Yes, um, it's a great idea, mate. It, so that's kind of where we're at, mate. We like seriously, it's we're sitting here tapping it together right now. Um, yeah, I've got my story ready, mate. Don't worry, it'll be in in. Uh, yeah, <laughs> never. <laughs> for, which, for which issue, mate? This one or the next one? Oh, yeah. Well, uh, you know, it just feels so good for me to be sitting, you know, with you on deadline and me as the contributor and just going, yeah, I'll get it in when I get it in. <laughs> <'Cause>, <laughs> oh, mate, I spent some times in that office on a deadline waiting for your stories, but they were always the, yeah, the crime, no, mate. No. But um, I just got a question for you, Sean. Uh, you know, in, in light of the, the feedback to Tyler Wright's BLM uh protest at the Tweed Coast Pro, uh, in light of the feedback that you get, like, do, do you think surfers are ready to sort of engage with these sorts of social issues or do they, they just want to be disconnected from it and keep surfing fun? Because so often, you know, people just say, you know, stick to the surfing, stay away from that shit. Like, what, how's yeah. your experience been, you know, as, as a guy on the front line who's trying to educate people to the fuckwittery of, uh, you know... <laughs> power and, and money and the, and the, just the absolute rapage of, of everything that we hold dear. Like so People just don't want to engage with it. Yeah, I know, mate. And that's, that's the line, you know. Anyone who steps out of the box and tries to actually say something, that's the first one they get. Um, but it's been kind of interesting to watch. Like, you know, we did it with the bite thing and, like, that was the first time a whole heap of crew have probably done anything in terms of, like, an environmental statement and got out there and 
and kind of put their neck out there a little bit and and because it's you know yeah argue against fossil fuels the first thing any dickhead says mate oh how did you get to the beach mate what's your board mate of mate? oh yeah yeah and it's just it's just pretty low rent stuff but it's but kind of yeah i think all that all that crew sense that we're in a pretty important point in time right now and if you're not going to speak up about some of this shit now like when are you um and then you look at like tyler and it was just mate that was that's it was pretty brave um putting it out there and she's thought about that a lot before getting to that point um and she probably anticipated that that you'd have the conga line of dickheads on social media coming out against it and but she doesn't care mm. it's like you know She's she's one of those people that has got a really strong sense of kind of who they are, and and I reckon she's at the point now. Where she just goes, you know, it's she's just completely unafraid putting it out there. Yeah. Like I was so stoked did it. Oh, me too, mate. Me too. Yep. And I reckon, mate. I reckon that's just a start for her, and and she's going to be amazing. Like you saw the like her growth, like as a person winning a world title, and she got more comfortable in that space and. And now she's kind of got a bit of a platform. Well, she, she wants her. Well, she's really, really evolved and and looking to take it next level. So I'm really I'm excited to see where this is going to go. Yeah, I mean it's one thing to to achieve stuff, and uh, you know it means something to you. It's another thing to use that platform and and try and actually create some meaningful change around you and make the world a better place. I, I think exactly what you say. She thought about it long and hard, and I just don't put really much. I don't know. I've seen some sort of comments around the place that it was a hollow gesture, and I just, I just don't understand how you could even think that. No, nah, mate, it's, and it's got to start somewhere. That's the other thing. It's, it's got to start with a gesture before you, you know, and you can throw yourself into the deep end with everything. You've got to, and that's like what we did with the bike. You know, a lot of that crew hadn't done anything in terms of an environmental protest, so you kind of had to walk in, you know, walk in gently with it. Mm. Um, but then by the end of it, and I, I think there was, say, there was. It was good because they had safety in numbers too. There was shitloads of people in, involved and people turning up, and it was clear that it was pretty important to people. Um, so they felt safe, you know. Mm. But but then you had like you, know, you had Mick and John, John Owen, all that crew like turn up at paddle outs, and it was pretty sick. And, yeah. And the bike was good, and um, yeah, at the end of the day, it actually counted. But that's the other thing, mate. They've got these these big profiles, and it counts, mate. That's you yeah. look at the media, like you look. We look at it and go, mate. It's great that you know that they surf good and um, and they're, they're behind this cause. But to to the rest of the country, it's quite you know, having Mick Fanning turn up at your protest is pretty big news. Mm. So. Yeah, and I think also just the lesson being, don't just get swept up in like the tide of whatever public opinion is going on. Like, take the turn time to listen, learn, educate yourself, and then take action. Yeah. Totally, yeah. And I reckon we went through a couple of decades. And, mate, and I talk about myself here and probably yourself and all of us. Like we've had two pretty good decades in terms of just going surfing. Mm. It's been so easy, mate. We've just, you can travel easily. You can get boards easily. Um, you know, it's been, it's been really easy to get trapped in that bubble and just pre- pretend the rest of the world doesn't exist. But um, It's closing but, in, mate. It's, going down. it's coming to fucking get us. Telling you, <laughs> hey, uh, two quick questions, Sean. before we uh, we peel out, but what about politics, mate? I mean, uh, you know, for years and years and years, Peter Garrett was was the poster poster guy for uh, you know 
having a fucking dig at the government and, and really using his position as a, a cultural figurehead to, to try and create change. And then he, he got into it and basically had his nuts cut off uh, <laughs> as far as most people are concerned. I mean, uh, that's, that's a, a pretty basic way to look at his contribution. But, you know, he got diminished heavily. Um, is, is it something that you've been approached about? And is it something that you've even um, thought about? I did chat to quite a few crew in politics. Mm. And it's only because we got, you know, on the back of the buy thing and all this energy that's out there right now, that they realise that there's a lot of votes in it. So suddenly they, they give a shit. Mm. Um, and they're taking an interest in, in kind of what's going on on the coast. Yeah, Alan Jones inviting you to lunch and stuff like that. <laughs> <laughs> Cash for comment. <laughs> the, um, no, but um, it's... It's kind of interesting. You look at politics. You look at you look at the crew there, and none of them look anything like anyone in my life. Mm. And I go, where the fuck have they found these people? Seriously, yeah. they're, but they're hot housed from an early age to, to fill those roles. Career police. They go through they go through party systems, and they they don't have much engagement with the real world, and they just it's a, just a political class. Yeah, and then you. And then you get Queen's a good old Bugsy, and he looks like everyone in my world. <laughs> and 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 I go, mate, that's unreal. That's, that's, yeah. That is the best thing ever. And so I just reckon that that there's a real pushback against that whole notion of of just having people there that don't that don't look like people in your life. Mm. Um, and it's going to be interesting when that next election rolls around. I think people have got the shits with the the two major parties. They're just you know they're just Particularly in my world, where it's you're looking against that the fossil fuel thing, and they're just they're on the take with the fossil fuel companies, and they just go, mate, you get some good independent candidates up, and a couple of good green candidates, and get in there and and stir that up a little bit. And also, like it's it's not powerless, is it? Getting the independents or the greenies in, because it's like it, it it's not like uh, they don't have swing when it comes to major decisions. Oh, mate, if you get the balance of power. Um, you can, it's as good as having can, a party. It's as good as having a party. And the other thing, mate, you can even if you don't, you can act like the conscience for the parliament, mm. whereas the, the, the main party crew have got to toe the line and say what the party says. Um, mate, if you're independent, you can say whatever you like. Mm. And, if it's, and if it's bullshit and it's wrong and it's corrupt, you can call it out. There's a whole bunch. There's a bunch of crew in there yeah. now doing it. I, I think there's doing, like a, doing great stuff. There's a full propaganda campaign about you know. Uh, I guess it's underlying, but you know, v- voting for either, and especially in American politics, more so than here. But you know, like it's a wasted vote if you don't go for one of the two parties. It's not that system yeah. here though. No, vote one bugs. No, he, he, you can make a difference by voting independent. Like, and in, in we had down here in the last election, Damo. Damo ran as an independent here in Torquay. Mm. And, mate, he stirred him up. And he, like, we didn't find out till, like, he had enough votes because it's the most marginal electorate in the country down here. Yeah. And it, he had enough votes to cover the difference between the two of them. So whoever his preferences got, they won. Ah. Mate, you should have... So that's power straight off the bat before you even get you in. Sh- oh, you should have seen the performance. Those guys crawling up his ass. And, <laughs> but, but, mate, he actually... It really, you know, he played it well, um, got some good stuff done for, for the um, local area here. But we found out later, six months later, Labor were, were about to, to World Heritage list the bite or nominate it. Wow. Just to, win, just to win this seat here. That's how badly they wanted it. Wow. So it kind of gives you an idea that that's <clears throat> once you get into it, you can, you can really change shit. Mm. If, 
even just on a small scale, even just by one one guy like Damo, just run it. Yeah. It, it almost almost locked up that whole thing. Well, we got yeah, get in there, make sure you vote, vote for your fucking where your, your values lie. And the other thing is uh let's vote bugs in, eh? Let's get some fucking shadow boxing in the fucking in the Senate. <laughs> I wanna see him just get up there, start doing his speech and midway through just start, you know, uh Lip syncing to uh, Born to Be Wild and Shadow Boxing. Oh, forget Shadow Boxing, Born. I want to see him start to drop cunts. Put a cup on the chin, Rabs. Welcome, Smithy. Welcome to the interview. So we're, we're, we've gone through a few big topics here with Sean O. Uh, ain't that swell? Proud supporters and partners of Surfing World as it enters the next phases of its life as a as an independent, you know, newspaper of surf. We've uh, got the editor on the line, Sean Doherty. And uh, is there anything you want to just? You know, pick his brain on while we've got him. Uh, I don't know what you've already covered, but uh, I mean, I saw an interesting meme just today on a uh, Redfish stream. I think it's like a, a kind of an anarchist uh, news website or some kind of, uh, you know, it's definitely uh, running a pretty anti-capitalist narrative, but it said uh, environmentalism without class struggle is just gardening. <laughs> <laughs> what do you make of that, Shauna? Oh, true, mate. It's all, mate. It's all in the one bucket. The whole thing, um, and it's you know, but you look at all the stuff that, that's going on environmentally and that around this country. It's all tied to someone doing something shifty and making money at the other end of it, and and you look at where all the money's gone in this country. And it's all, it's just getting siphoned out of this country and, and given to corporates um, at, the expense, at the expense of punters. It's, it's just creating this, like, huge inequality. Mm. And so the two are kind of hand in hand, really. You're yeah. fighting one, you're fighting the other, I reckon. I think that's my main critique or criticism of the green movement in, uh, in Australia anyway, uh, is that it often... You know, it's often it, it's kind of voting base is often you, you kind of university educated middle class um, inner city or, or even just quite far left wing, uh, and and they can be quite dismissive of the working class, and, and they can kind of ignore that class struggle, and um, they can often be almost straight up uh, antagonists of the working class. And they can also be very misanthropic. You know, you often hear a lot, you know, because I grew up in the inner city um, surrounded by these people and they, you know, you kind of hear people saying, oh, humans are a plague. And, you know, they can be so far to the left that they're almost just a counterbalance to the fucking far right wing wackos. And it's like, I don't know, both, both those kinds of extreme polarities are unhelpful, I find. Yeah, you got to keep it real. That's the, that's the other thing, and you got to and you got to realise you you know you live in a world where you've got to make things work, and people have got to work and got to have jobs, and that, and kind of get that. Um, and if you and if you do, you know, become too puritanical on the other side of that, it does become a turn off. But then on, then you flip it around the other way, and and you got Scamo in high vis doing welding, <laughs> and at the, same, at the same time he's ripping off every worker in this country and giving money their money to uh the giant corporates that's right it's just it's just bullshit yeah that's right i mean if you give uh if you give out if you tax the corporates and you get like a a stipend for the workers and you you know you get a kind of universal basic income or something like that it then takes all that pressure away from having to you know rape the environment uh for money 
So, um, you know, it's all about giving workers something to do or giving them money because often people's jobs are what's at stake. Like it's, it's often this kind of argument where it's like either the environment or jobs. Um, yeah. Which is, it's, and it's just such a tough one. It's been such a tough one for the Greens to figure out because, that, yeah, I mean, you take away like, say, like uh, the, the timber industry or whatever from Tasmania and you suddenly you've put fucking thousands of people out of work or you take away certain ki- kinds of mining and it's the same problem. Um, so, yeah, I don't know. It's a, it's a tricky yeah. one, but it's not that tricky. These fucking corporates are making billions of dollars, mate. Like, this fucking just tax the cunts. Just shake them down. Well, they're the ones who invent that as the story, as the narrative, too. Yeah. That's right. They're the yeah. ones yeah. saying it. So, so, the jobs or the environment, take your pick. Mm. And then everyone who's a, a, a working class. But the, le- but the left buys feels, into that as well. Oh, it seems no, like. for sure. For sure. But that's, that's, you have to buy into it. Otherwise, you're not in the conversation. Because that's the, the way that the run the the mainstream media oh, is running. Sorry, buys into it's the wrong word. I mean, the left is often uh, ambivalent about the loss of jobs. They just kind of are so f- focused on the environment they they don't factor that into the equation. Is what I'm. Yeah, but you got you, you got a plan for you got a plan for the long game, boys. That's a, that's the other problem that none of these kooks do. It's just like they're, mate, they're only looking at the next election and how to cover their ass and and get what they can between now and then. And all these industries, mate, they're all finite. They're gonna, you can't keep chopping down Tasmanian timber forever, um, and you can't keep digging holes it forever. And and you've got to focus on shit that's going to be there in a hundred years and a thousand years. And mm-hmm. um, and you've got, you know, you've got this big beautiful country here, and you turn it into a quarry when you could people will pay you forever to come here and hang out. That's tourism. Mm-hmm. And you've got all these, you got mate, you got millions of acres that you can. You can grow, you can turn into the world's food bowl. You've got all this mm. stuff you can do. And the focus is on digging holes. It's, it's kind of, it's, it's crazy because it, it won't last. Totally. Agreed. Hey, uh, just before you go, Sean uh, we have to just give your book a plug, mate, because uh, on top of everything else you've got going on, you've got a book out. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, Where can the swellians get hold of it? After about four mm. years, uh, I finally got it done. Um, so... That's one of the bonuses of the lockdown. What, actually, um, tell us what it's called and, and what it what it sort of encompasses. Yeah, yeah. Basically, I I got a commission to do a book about everyone in the Hall of Fame here in Australia. Um, so like forty four of them, I think, all up. And and so I just yeah, I wrote um wrote these little chapters, and I thought rather than kind of talk about their whole life, which you wouldn't be able to do them enough service in two couple of thousand words. I just picked one year out of each each of their lives and had a little chat with them about it. Um, it was cool. Made any chance to get to hang and, and do a bit of phone time or hang time with with those with that crew, um, mate. I'll take it. And it's it's called Summer Days, right? Uh, golden Days. Golden Days. Sorry, Golden Such Days. A sick idea. Yeah. I've, I've always said that. Like it's so crazy. In five hundred years' time. Guys like, you know, Nat Young, uh, Bob McTavish, these people are going to be considered gods, like literally, <laughs> literally gods. Like like they're going to be, you know, every bit the equivalent of uh, Julius Caesar and, uh, I don't know, Babe Ruth and these kinds of people. And, but they're alive right now, so we can access them all. Uh, it's such a crazy, crazy thing. We, we live in this time where we have still have access to these people who invented this pastime that's in a you know it's in a perpetual growth phase mm. like where surfing will be in 500 years if the planet still exists is um going to be crazy and these people and, and all 
just was, was there you've done so much time in in the surf media Sean was there a story that you, that surprised you in the writing of this book was there something that you went wow I didn't know that about one of the Hall of Famers oh yeah there was a pretty good one um Naughty Paul's had a beauty um oh, she, Scum Valley's finest herself yeah yeah uh she the year she won the world title um in the middle of it <clears throat> she went on a holiday to Africa and, and not like when say Africa, it's not like she didn't go to South Africa or to a safari park. She went to like, it was in, I think it was in Equatorial Guinea from memory. It was somewhere in, on that, the, the West Coast there. She was there with, with a girlfriend. They just peeled out for a, um, for, a, uh, for a month. But it was literally on the edge of the jungle. And it was, and there were like all sorts of wildlife and things, elephants and gorillas were just in land. And But I ended up at a, like a, voodoo ceremony in there and that went that went all through the night and she, she was freaking out because it was like it was full full voodoo um you know these, these guys were on all this stuff and, and they were freaking out they thought they were going to get chucked into a pot there at one stage but but at the end of it the, the high priest comes up to goes says, at the end of the you will be number one in what you do <laughs> wow. he said that before Lee, and then and then three months later she was no way. Far out. Oh, and that priest was the one who crowned uh, the ASP champion that year? Is, it, is that part of it? Or? Yeah, they flew him in from, yeah, from, uh, oh. from Guinea. That's what, the uh, Gary Elkinen get that, the, guy, the number of that guy and fly over there before the World Masters. <laughs> 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 uh, good on you, Sean. All right, so uh, Golden Days, that's uh, available just like in good bookshops? Yeah, I think so, yeah. I think it's around. Should be easy to find. Good on you, mate. Oh, good to have you on the show, Sean O at last, and uh, we'll be catching up with you uh, regularly, hopefully. Nah, good, good to get off the bench, boys. Uh, always good talking. On you, Sean O. Mad. Take care, bruh. See you. The Stab 100 at North Point. Here we are at the one and only North Point. Jack Robinson. Jay Davies. Jacob Wilcox. Thundering cone off. Yeah, it was impressive. Great concept. Thoroughly enjoyed it. Uh, quick few highlights from it. Oh, I mean, I, lo- I loved every bit of it, but mm. I-, I guess probably my favourite part of the 100 minutes of North Point action was the local call lord, Ollie Henry, paddling over the top of the pack and just stuffing a eight-foot stand-tall monstro cone. Mm. Uh, he waited his time. In the pecking order there, and uh, he went and just, gave himself a a good little uh, what profile boost in the in the process. Yeah, no doubt. I mean, the boys in the Surf One Hundred heat couldn't shut up about it. They couldn't believe the mm. thickness and girth of the pity packed. Uh, Jack Robbo was kind of uh, demanding that he sell it to him. Yeah, sell him the wave, <laughs> and was going, you know, kind of going, "You better fucking go, Ollie." <laughs> <laughs> go he did offered him 300 clams for a wave which is uh kind of a bargain really because yeah like you said it is a big profile boost mm. won't be forgetting 300 bucks anyway. 300 bucks for a wave like that is it enough is uh, that that was, that was a kind of one of the uh the talking points that yeah, came out of it right it is i mean if i was up i'd be paying someone 300 bucks to take it off me i'd be freaking <laughs> me? oh it's a big one yeah oh, it was a mega one um, Concept-wise, uh, just to see something so new, to have all the surfers mic'd up, to have the the commentary panel that they had in there, and and just 
fuck, man. I mean, you, you got to hand it a stab. We always do. We're pretty generous, I think, when it comes to sort of tipping the hat. Tipping the hat to uh, McIntosh and, and just how gung-ho he is with putting a new idea out and throwing every last, you know, fucking bit of energy and coin that he's got into it. Uh, he's well, he, done it again. He's partnered with Dane Reynolds in this in this concept. Oh, fair dick. Mm. Yeah. So, uh, man, it's coming from the chorus of the core lord. It's a core concept. Mm. And it's kicked a goal here. Uh, Jack Robbo obviously won the event. And, yeah. I mean, the kid. Well, he's not so much a kid anymore, but... He is just on another level. He is an interplanetary cone genius. Mm. He's the Doctor Who. He's a he's a time bandit. He just rams that TARDIS through endless time tunnel. The way he knifes into him is crazy. He has this uh, very unique ability to just swoop in majestically like a sparrow and just <laughs> weave through section after section. Yeah, it's crazy. The, mm. the, his ability to kind of find space in the pit and his dexterity to just get up and down the face in the tube. It, no one's surfing like that. There's just no one who has that just flexibility or whatever you want to call it yeah, inside the knife, pit. It's that crazy. That knifing is just madness, isn't it? His so board never mad. seems to connect from the face, no matter how late or deep or wherever he is on it. He's just constantly got that rail just completely scalpeled. Into the mm. uh, wave face. It's an unbelievable it's, skill to have. It's a glitch. It's a just video just, game. Just shit. on Jack Robbo, mate. Far out. I just cannot believe the momentum he's he's carried all the way through this COVID period into, you know, these sort of three foot mushy comps that he went in, uh, plus the North Point comp. But just everything about him is oozing passion. Like mm. it's it's such a different it's it's such a different characteristic to see in him. And uh, I know that, you know, he's, he's been on his own program for the first time in his life. And I actually spoke with him uh, for a Surfing World article just recently. And I was like, mate, what's what's it like? You know, you, you had your dad sort of with you, um, you know, as, as your right-hand man, your coach, your mentor, your, your spirit guide. He, you know, Trev's a, a pretty unique character. Uh, but it, it seems like, you know, once he moved into the world on his own, it's it's like that that feeling you get when you move into your first flat, and, mm. you, and you just you get this sense of freedom, and everything feels exciting, and it just he's just got that, don't you reckon that that full bubbling energy of someone who's just the world is their oyster? Absolutely, but, I think he's uh, he's already married, right? Yeah, yep. So uh, he's locked in, which is you know th- that's an incredible mature step to take at, mm. at his age. So, yeah, I mean, I'm loving where he's at at the moment. And I think there were question marks about his ability, uh, especially on the rail as he was coming up and, and, you know, potentially, yeah, I think he's always been pretty strong with, well, the last, with aerials. The last, but last guy everyone was sort of like going ho-hum about their rail game was John John. I mm. mean, just give it another couple of years. He's still... Oh, no, there's no question marks anymore, no. I don't think. I think he's put all that to sleep. I yeah. mean, with his performances across a variety of wavescapes. He's dominated in, in every kind of condition you can name. From mm. Manly, uh, he was strong at Cabba. Uh, that was, you know, both mushy East Coast, short period shit. And, uh, you know, Sunset, obviously untouchable. Mm. But I, I think more than anything, he's an energy... Uh, we've talked about it on, on the potty, but he's an energy feeder. It's almost like whatever energy is around him, he... It just absorbs into who he is. And, like, he's spending, now that he's he's with Volcom and he's spending so much time with Bemrose, like, who is just a live wire, man. Matt Bemrose, 
uh, surf coach, team manager for Volcom. The inventor of his it own just... philosophy, the Bemhoff, <laughs> which just yeah. is a, a, a state of being of pure grit and just, strength and oh, transcendence. Just, just such a student of pro surfing as well, someone who really fucking breaks down heats, knows where to be. Uh, what to do, how to get under the skin, how to fucking ruffle feathers. You know, there's no element of the game that Bemi hasn't just completely, you know, just edu- just fucking, what's what's it called where you do that, the, the doctorate, the highest mm, level of a learning. PhD, just, a PhD, yeah. a postgraduate certificate of yeah, completion. Exactly. He's just, he's on that higher level of, of knowing the game. And um, I just think he's just giving Jack this, basically like uh, plugging him in to whatever he needs to be plugged into so that he's hitting the water with just fucking electricity flying out of him. And it's just, it's everywhere. It's all about Jack Robbo. I think Ethan Ewing's got uh, a, a touch of it as well. Oh, but, you but mean... But the way that's... You, you. But uh, the, the way that that's feeding into the older guys too. Oh, you can see now that Julian and Owen can feel that next rush Oh, yeah, it's coming. Them. So we're... we're you're the right. corn has it's been stoked. It's a bubbling cauldron of stoked corn. Yeah, it's it's on. But Jack Robbo looking so good. Massive over. Uh, so uh, surf one hundred though. Yeah, no surprises that he won. But how good to see you know Kale Walsh, Jay Davies. I just love. Oh, watching and just him quickly surf. on Jay Davies. I mean, what a what a legend. Uh, be, like not being a, for Jay Davies to not be able to surf for a living, to be working on the tugs up there in our uh, Fremantle or whatever, is just everything. I fucking hate about the surf industry. <laughs> like, explain this to me, Vaughn. Like, how in a sport that has experienced nothing but growth for 30 or 40 years in which CEOs and company founders have made off with fucking billions of dollars, can some cunt not come up with 80 or 100K to keep this cunt off the tools and in a wetsuit? Oh, mate. Oh, fuck. I mean, he might be the greatest tube ride of his generation, uh, which is saying something for a guy from West Oz because there's a couple of tube pigs over there. But uh, his profile film, Native, is one of the wildest things I've ever seen. And it's yeah. uh, available oh, for free download. It's a classic. So back get, that 100%. I, I just I, don't understand Vaughn. I he's unbelievable. He's a freak of nature. He's six foot nine and 180 kilos of pure, sinewy, muscular, bulging dystrophy. It's incredible. Mm, yeah, he's a monster of a dude. And uh, he absolutely tears. And uh, I don't know. Who, who's getting paid six figures in the surfboard right now, though? I think the act of God pretty much wiped. Most of those bank accounts clean, mate. Mm, yes, the act of God. Interesting. I tell you whose bank accounts it didn't wipe clean. The many CEOs and billionaires and company founders and whatnots, they're all sitting high and dry. Yep, record profits, record bonuses. Oh. Settle down, Spiffy. It's all right, mate. Huge over. Huge over for Surf 100. Over. Ask us a question, Smivy. Ask us a question, we'll tell you no lie. Ask us a question, we'll tell you no lie. Ask us a question, Smivy, and uh, a pretty fucking, yeah, a pretty worthy one here from Toby Prattley who has uh, asked us, it's a little bit of a follow-on from the under and over section, but uh, Toby says this. What are your thoughts on certain pro surfers recently claiming business, in inverted commas, trips to uh, as a means of gaining access to uncrowded Indonesian perfection? Surely these individuals have had their fair share of vis, one having his own wave pool. 
Are visas granted on one's surfing abilities or is money and corruption ruining the land? What are the ethics behind this as they have done so amidst a global pandemic? One which Indonesia is considered to be struggling with. Must they flaunt their actions on social media? If it were a small crew of blue-collar workers who'd never done a trip in their lives risking health and wealth to sample the forbidden fruit, maybe I could back it. Just not sure how I feel about these seemingly self-entitled pro-surfer types gaining access while we're in lockdown doing our part to slow the global Mm. pandemic, UTFS. Well, Vaughan, it sounds like a classical case of cone envy. And uh, I'm right there with you. The global elite i.e. the goat Kelly Slater getting coned in Indo while us, the proletariat, die slow and painful deaths trapped in cities besieged by disease and anarchists, whom I tacitly support. (laughs) Yes, it gets my goat too, so to speak. But, uh, I mean, look, let's be real. If we were to open up the borders to every Tom, Dick and Harry, uh, or any Tom, Dick and Harry, say just, you know, your average blue-collar battler... Let them go. Just, you know, pick five. Well, then we're all going to want to go. Mm. Where, where does it stop? So, you know, you can see where they're coming from, the global elite. Uh, they clearly have to be the ones who get barreled uh, for our kind of, uh, I guess, uh, what's the word? Uh, you know, Our pleasure. Uh, when you look at someone else getting tubed, you feel some kind of joy. It's not quite the same thing. Mm. But, uh, mm. Yeah, so... I, <sighs> Do I? It's probably a, a, a marginal under, but if I was the goat, I'd be definitely milking that. I mean, mm. he's, he's played it well, hasn't he? He's, he's uh, left his besieged country as it catches fire and amidst looting and protests and heat waves, and he's landed in Australia for the best winner on record. And he's mm. just bypassing, uh, skipping through window on the way home for that for the American winter. You know, he pretty much couldn't have played it any better. Yep, classic goat. Classic goat. And, uh, I mean, he's copping his fair share of, of critics, but when doesn't he? he? He can't really move these days without having 50% of the surf world just doing a big old cacker on whatever post he puts up. Um, am I backing it? The, the, the whole idea of surfers sneaking into Indo and, and getting pitted? <sighs> at the expense of who? Is it, is it having an effect? Is it, is it putting the Indonesian people at risk? It's just such a, it's such a tricky one to really have a, an educated opinion on. I, I guess, yes, cone envy is real. I'm suffering it mm. now that the uh, Northleys, the spring Northleys have kicked in. Mm. But I've had such a good run, Smithy. It's hard to get the shits at the moment. I feel like we, we really have been spoiled. Is he a cone trader? Where was the cone solidarity go? Why can't you sit out the spring Northleys with the rest of the surfing population? <laughs> yeah, mate, you know, great, joining mate. the global elites. So all it comes down to is greed. You're a cone trader. All right, Asha Landini has asked, at what point do you burn an old boy or girl who is a respected local but a full-blown snake? Oh, good question. Mm. So at what point, Smivy, if you're surfing, uh, you know, at a, a pro- maybe a heavily localised spot, are you allowing the, the elder, the tribal elder of said spot, to just keep on paddling up the inside and plucking off the sets? Well, I think it depends on... A multitude of variables all swirling around your possibility to beat that man and get away with it. Yeah. So, uh, 
Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> if you're going to drop in, you, you, you know you're getting a mouthful yeah, when you come up. There's so. going to be some kind of debacle that ensues, and it's either going to be a uh, an old-fashioned angry mob be, uh, beating you senseless, or uh, you're going to be able to, uh, I don't know, give, give the old man a dunk and scuttle away. No, no. I take Check all, yourself I take, before you wreck yourself. <laughs> I take all that back. I think the key to that is just don't surf those spots. I don't really mm. fuck with them, eh? And, you know, colonels, local colonels are going to get their waves no matter what. So um, if they're from the zone, it's just their mentality. They believe that they're entitled to it. Maybe they are, maybe they're not. So I don't know. I mean, probably they're not because they've had more cones than anyone and more halcyon days at their iconic spot than anyone. But uh, try telling that to them. I just avoid it all. I avoid the clusterfuck in surf somewhere else nice question ash i've got one here from tommy coburn who's the biggest melter in surfing history you reckon anyone can give the white chocolate a run for his money oh we're talking not 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 like uh melter in terms of just emotional skits out well i mean i think that's potentially part of the mm. the meltdown procedure but uh I think he means because Chloe Andino has got to be up there because when he when he melts, not only does he melt in the cauldron of competition, having not won a final, but the actual you know board punching, tantrums and fist flying, you know splashing and all that sort of stuff is he'd be right up there, wouldn't he? Yes, he's known for a, a schwitz. Um, I, uh, I'm just trying to think of the all time iconic melts. I think Lynette McKenzie takes the cake. No one had more fury than the uh, the red-headed Maroubra legend. But it, did, it work in a, did it work in a favour? I mean, or... Never got a world title. Uh, one event uh, was accomplished uh, and, uh, you know, a, a, just an absolute weapon competitor. So good, but just so angry. Spinning. Just a burning ember. Go you'll run for, it, for your money, mm. mate. Like, seriously. Just a burning ember in that cornhole, wasn't there, Vaughan? <laughs> oh, mate. Flary. Flary. Like a hot wind on it. <laughs> Yeah, you know, you know those machines that they use in the old uh, in a blacksmith studio where it's it's two handles and you pump it together and it mm. blows air on the fire. That's shh, the, yeah, shh, that was on a constant shh. burn. Mm. No need for a rocket upper. <laughs> you got a burning ember in your corn. Aaron uh, Kelly, mate. Aaron Kelly, swelling, proud of it. Will pipe run in December and is the start of the 2021 season still in the cards? I can't be fucked looking it up. Just tell me, he says. As I uh, have no inside intel on this, Um, I have been uh, sort of working alongside the woozle here and there just on the side, but no word, official word from those guys in terms of it happening or not. I think at this stage, it's all looking like it's it's green lights. Mm, but mm. we'll know more as, uh, you know, we get closer to that date. What about yourself, Smithy? Any any noise on the old grapevine? Any word coming through to the Smith, the two-time gold p- c- cone piece winner? Oh, I mean, the borders are slowly opening up. You feel like the worst of this pandemic has passed. It's, I feel like it's definitely on the on the wind down, isn't it? I, I think that's a potentially a bit ahead of schedule, but mm. uh, fuck, it'd be good to see the World Tour back on in 2021, wouldn't it? Would be. Uh, here's one for you, Smivy, and this is from uh, Tom Kennedy, and this is a good one. What is the Swellian's favourite ice cream? And he's offered up a suggestion. Is it a bleached Cornetto? Well punned. Not bad. Well, what about uh, Gabe Medina? Would he be the paddle fair up your inside pop? <laughs> Or Terry Richo, a Calippo, 
the back of your head, cunt. <laughs> what about Damien Hardman? Just a, a no-nonsense icy, icy pole man. <laughs> you got one? I love that. That's very good. Uh, well, jeez. Put me on the spot. I mean, uh, what have we got? What have we got? Uh, potentially, I mean, I guess the, the goat would uh, no doubt be some kind of perp. Perp related. <laughs> perp popsicles. Purple people eating bit of glucose. Fuck, I got nothing. I don't okay. know. I, Let's move sorry, on. Move along. Let's move on. Nothing, nothing. It was a good question. Yes, I, well I think played. just getting to say bleached corn, Eto, was, was a highlight for uh, me. He's put a lot of thought into that. Uh, now, we have a question here from Heath Punchin from Padua College on uh, in Mornington. When are you going to call the goat out on his pool being used as a front? For dodgy housing and canal estate on the sunny coast. Well, mm. I mean that's allegedly, but there is some. Uh, there's a few whispers about the the goat pool being built on some pristine wetlands or whatnot up there in Coolum and uh, being a Trojan horse for a McMansion housing estate mm. that those Queenslanders love. And is the goat in on the housing estate as well? Is that part of it? Uh, I believe he's going to be living in an orb suspended above the housing estate. Uh, We've 12 virgins and an endless kind of plantation of wheat grass. Just just uh, like Mr. Burns in that episode where he becomes a germaphobe, just up there like looking down through the the completely glass encasing down at all the waves and the housing and just rubbing his hands together and spraying, you know, spraying the alcohol. Precisely. Mm. Exactly. Mm. I think you might have to have a look into that, Smivy, and, mm. and get back to us on that one. Uh, Surf Quiz 500 says, is anyone else thinking that Hewing should be in the Australian Olympic team? If they had a requalifier situation because of the worldwide situation, would he make the cut? Those meaty turns he's chucking down would suggest he would up the North Stratty board riders. Mm. Hewing um, in the Olympic team, are you feeling that? Sure, sure. But, I mean, we can't just uh, piss all over the IOC's qualification. Qualification. Who you know, are we? Role. I mean, who, who are we? That's right, Fawn. We're nobody. Nothing. Uh, well, what about this? Will the GOAT imminently release news of a hair follicle transplant to undermine Susie's retirement extravaganza? <laughs> By the way, big congratulations to Susie. Adriano D'Souza, he's going to use 2021 as his last season on tour, do a victory lap, and uh, well played, sir. Very well played. Well played indeed. I mean, I guess the big news out of that is that the GOAT's going to outlast D'Souza. His world tour career is going to... I mean, D'Souza, a great, great surfing journeyman, toiled, got his world title in the end. But, I mean, how long is the GOAT's career going to drag on? <laughs> Corn drag on. That's right. Well punned, Smithy. Got a question here from Mark Hughes. From, uh, looks like Queensland. Stop being PC about the shark issue in northern New South Wales and South Queensland. We are heading in the direction of Reunion Island. I'm spooked but still surfed the river mouth at Clown Town today. Is it, is it the fact that there are more mid-sized sharks equivalent to a teenage human? The local Brizzo radio had a pro fisherman tell it how it is. He said you could walk on the sharks following his boats around as they were that thick. That is fucked. He also said they have 
size limits, which basically leaves all the sharks that can inflict a serious injury on us in the water. How does that make any sense? Come on, boys. I know you have an opinion, and surely it isn't the luck of the draw. We have, a, we have fucked with the ecosystem a lot and can't pick and choose. Is it all or nothing? Well, uh, I'm hoping it's not all or nothing. I think there's a middle ground there. Nick Carroll did a story for Surfing World um, when I was editing. Uh, and it, it was a real, you know, it was when the, the Ballina shark uh, issues were going on where there was just, you know, a fatal attack. I think there was something like five or six pretty bad attacks, a few of them fatal. And he just dug deep into every single record that there was I- I- about shark encounters in Australia. And I guess one of the heavy things is, is that we can't really measure how many more sharks there are in the water compared to previous years, but we can definitely see an upward trend of encounters going on. Yeah. And uh, two things that were pretty much unequivocal, like unarguable facts in his research was that on beaches where there's nets, there are almost the, 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 the shark encounters and the shark attacks in those zones were almost diminished to nothing. I mean, they do happen. But almost, you know, a huge effect on the safety of swimmers and surfers. Um, I'll see if I can drag it out, Smithy, and, and, mm. and give you some facts for the next ep because this is what it's I a really interesting yeah. story. I mean, I've done my, uh, a bunch of stories on the topic, and this is what I know. These are the facts. So, great whites were put on the endangered list around about ninety four, ninety five, mm. and the way they made it onto the uh, endangered protected list was through. Uh, primarily, they used anecdotal evidence from commercial fishermen, and it was it was it wasn't data it wasn't data based. It was all kind of stories and anecdotes. So it's that's flimsy evidence. It's not it's not good, but it's like what we had, and sure, I back it. Why not? Um, so that was what twenty five years ago. In that time, um, whites have been protected. I'm not. I, I should know. I should have reread the article. I'm not sure if it was tigers um, and bull sharks. I doubt bull sharks would be endangered or protected. Mm. But uh, in that 25-year period, they would have they've definitely bred up. We don't know how fast they breed. You know, there's people who say they breed like insects and there's other people who say otherwise. We don't know. Um, like you said, in Ballina, we had a, a terrible run for a period there and mm. they then implemented drum lines and some drone surveillance at certain beaches um, well, really only, I think, around uh, the North Wall zone. But si- since the drum lines have been in, there hasn't been an attack in five years, I think. So that was around about, yeah, 2015, 2016, the drum lines come in. There's been, sorry, there's been one attack. It was uh, a guy was bitten by a small bull shark, got eight stitches, drove himself to hospital. Mm. Up on the Gold Coast, where they've had nets and drum lines, they've had, they haven't had a fatality in 62 years. I mean, mm. will that... Fatality the other day at Greenmount ended that run. Yeah, uh, nets are nets and drum lines are s- super effective, but nets come at a serious cost to the wildlife. Yeah, um, turtles, dolphins, whales. Um, drum lines can can catch the odd whale, but it's it's tang- they get tangled in the rope and and can be released pretty quickly because they're checked every day. So, I mean. That's all you can say, I guess. Drum lines, very effective. Drum lines and nets, super effective. I think realistically something has to be done. Like there has to be, you know, and I think it's also a question of intention. Like if you look at it from a karmic or conservationist point of view, it's like sharks are coming into a populated area with the intention to eat. And so if they're coming in with that intention to eat and they eat the meat on the hook, 
then they get done and that was they get done according to their intention and they get dragged out to sea or they potentially die. Mm. Um, I mean, that's that's not the worst thing I've ever heard of. That's that's pr- pretty much humans acting in self-defense in a way that's going to kill a, p- a relatively small amount of sharks. Like mm. someone, some sentient being is going to be inconvenienced, whichever <laughs> way you look at it. You know what I mean? It's, whether it's going to be a, a guy or a, a woman or a child being nipped by a shark or killed by a shark or whether it's going to be a shark dying um, or whether it's going to be a shark taking a bait and getting dragged out to sea. Like, you can't have... It's not going to be a perfect world and humans are going to be in the ocean. I think even indigenous people uh, had a shark come into the area where they were fishing or whatever would have speared it and killed it. Like, realistically. Fucking know if they would. Are you kidding me? Mm-hmm. I think they're just going to get eaten and go, well, it's their domain. No. Mate, well said. And I reckon we'll, we'll dig a little deeper on that. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bring that shark story in. I might even... Uh, read out a few passages from it or, or whack it up on our facey because it's, it's just so nice to read something that isn't just uh, hyperbole based on nothing. You yeah. know, there's so much emotion behind the conversation and there's about so much dogma. And- there's so much of this, mm. like, far left-wing, like, political conservationist dogma that's so rigid. It's annoying. It's really fucking stupid. B. Dawson. It could be Bear Dawson. It could be Better Orson. I, I don't know. It's Bed. I'm going to go with bed. Why does Sally Fitz not get more kudos from the Australian surf community? Absolutely rips, in my view, and is uh, often underscored but never complains and is an amazing role model for not just young girls but all young grommies who want to be a champion athlete. And uh, there was an earlier question that actually said, how bad do you reckon Sally was fitzing fitzing after her air rev? Got a six point five or something in the the cop. That is wild, isn't it? That is a seems like a radical underscore. I mean, the only airverse I can even really remember outside of the the goat pool was uh, Silvana Lima a long time ago. Mm. Uh, Well, I I, I have to give props to uh, Bethany Hamilton and little Erin Brooks who have just dropped a hell of a clip from the Waco uh, wave pool. Just fully doing full rotors and sending it. I mean, that, that pool is going to be responsible for the biggest leap in the evolution of women's aerial surfing, you know, more than any anywhere or anything else. It's just amazing. The, the, the ladybirds that the stab did there with stab high. Um, Sierra Kerr, obviously, is just a leader. But this has pushed the level again. Yeah, and Bethany Hamilton is such a legend, man. He's get, get stuck into it. But where do you think Sally Fitz is at in her career? Do you reckon she's she's... Where does she sit for you right now as a fan of surfing? Uh, yeah, I mean, she she's, feels like she's been around forever and she's still quite young and has a, a long time to go. And, yeah, I mean, she's a classic battler from Jaroa mm. on the south coast there. Uh, she's toiled, you know. She went through the unimaginably traumatic time of, you know, d- being engaged to a reasonably mediocre rugby league player in Trent Merrin. <laughs> can't imagine what that was like. But, uh, you know, she's trans... He played Origin, didn't he? Well, yeah, and he was dismal at that level. (laughs) (sighs) So, I mean, she managed to shake off that ball and chain and bounce back. Two words, mate. Swelly and queen. Oh, absolutely. She's a swelly and queen. Oh, she qualifies. We got got sour. We're back in sour. I I, I just can't believe that, you know, she finally gets a shot at at a lifelong dream and, and here comes the pandemic. Sometimes it just feels like not not the world is against her, but everything. (laughs) <laughs> the, the, the universe is just working against them. It'll just make the win that much sweeter when it mm, comes, won't it? Absolutely. All right, Smithy, uh, I reckon we're just about wrapping it here, brother. 
plenty more questions, but one, let's... one more, one more. Yeah, from, go on, hit me. Because I me. love this concept. This is great. This comes from Dominic Mansell, who's packing a translucent blue cone somewhere in the Indonesian archipelago. It looks like his question is: Should the Wazzle do a UFC? Fight Island style boat trip with the top 10 from last year to decide a 2020 world champ similar to the one-off world championship events of the 1960s. Love it. It's a great idea. Love it. I, I, I feel like why not? Why not throw something completely new and just chuck all the world's best surfaces into that furnace? And, and when I say the world's best, I'm talking, yeah, top 10. And even get the world champs from the past, the world champs who are still on tour, get those guys back into the mix. Get them out. Give Just, a couple of wild cards. Oh, if you've been number one in totally. the world, get them in there. Mate, the archipelago is looking for business mm. in Indonesia. You know, take them to No Kanduis or something. Let's, oh, they can camp there on the island. It's uh, the Kandui villas there. It's pretty plush. Fuck, that would be mental. I mean, they're going to do it anyway in 2021 uh, with the WSL finals. Why not start early and just just get the top 10 from the year before and and chuck them in? Well, you've dropped the ball on that one, Wazzle. It's a bit late in the piece, (laughs) but uh, if only they had appointed... They need some kind of swellian spiritual advisor on the uh, WSL board, I feel like. Don't worry, mate. We might... You and I have got something cooking that might just... Start the uh, the swelling conversation within the Wuzzle ranks, I think. Mm. You know what I'm talking about, don't you? I do. It's putting a swelling ember up Proden's cornhole. <laughs> and getting that puffy thing and just... Shh, shh, shh. Are you kidding me? You gotta be kidding me. You gotta be kidding me. You're kidding me. You're kidding me. You're kidding me, right? Are you kidding me? This guy, are you kidding me? 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 Kidding me? Kidding me? Are you kidding me? You gotta be kidding me. 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 Oh, you gotta be kidding me. 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 You've got to be kidding me. You gotta be kidding me, right? You gotta be kidding me. What? You gotta be kidding me! You gotta be kidding me. You gotta be kidding me! You gotta be kidding me. You gotta be kidding me. Are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? Come on, you gotta be kidding me. You gotta be kidding me. You gotta be kidding me. Are you kidding me? You kidding me? You kidding me, right? Are you kidding me? You kidding me. You kidding me? Are 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 you kidding me right now? Are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? You fucking kidding me? Are 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 you fucking kidding me? You're not fucking kidding me. Are you fucking kidding me?